everybody, and welcome to the Smorgasbord. I'm Tom Shapira. What are you, deaf? Are you retarded or something? Who the hell do you think I am? I'm the goddamn Sean Edry. Really? Hey, the Master Race is coming out. We have to prepare. Anyway, this is a comic book podcast brought to you by the fine folks at Seekward, the best online and unusual source for comic books and pop culture critique. Buy their books, read their articles, watch their movies. For example, Nicholas Yanes has interviewed Dr. Deborah Whaley on her book Black Women in Sequence, re-inking comics, graphic novels, and anime. So read this article and then buy the book. Mm-hmm. And also, while you're in a giving and buying mood, you should give some money to Secret via Patreon. Yes. Support smart criticism in comics. And on a related note, happy anniversary to us. It's hard to believe that we've been doing this for a year with nary a crossover or a variant cover. Insight, I feel so pure. So next episode is number one again? I should think so. Or maybe we should do next episode point one. Well, let's do 0.1.5. It's our jumping on, jumping off, jumping through point. Yes. Okay, but we won't spend too much time on celebrating because we have news to talk about, right? Yes, so much news. Well, let's start with something that is not new, and yet it is still news. Zack Snyder is still petty. In a recent interview, Zack Snyder compared Batman and Superman to, and I quote, the flavor of the weak Ant-Man. Not to be mean, but whatever it is. What is the next Blank Man? See, I I really like Blank Man. Have you ever watched it? There's a superhero movie called Blank Man. I will not indulge. No, no, no. There's actually... <laughs> it's a Wayne's Brothers movie. It's a mid-90s superhero comedy with all black Is this black an cast. endorsement that it's a Wayne Brothers movie? I don't it's know. It's before they became... It's, it's uh-huh. not great, but it's fun. So, you know, I would prefer to watching Blank Man over watching Men of Steel again. Well, this is exactly the point. Every time Snyder or Goyer open their mouths, all they're really doing is reminding everyone how lopsided this whole competition has been. Like, I don't think even the most optimistic Marvel fan, when this whole thing started, could have predicted that the MCU would whip DC's ass quite as thoroughly as they have. Now, he said a lot of stuff during that interview. Ant-Man is the flavor of the month thing is just... It's ridiculous because... Ant-Man isn't the flavor of the month. <laughs> if you can make something like Ant-Man succeed, it's, you made it succeed despite everything being against it, despite it being called Ant-Man. If anything, the fact that it's not a total failure, financially and critically, is a testament to how good they are at this exactly. whole movie-making business. It's I not the flavor the, of the month, it's the exact, what's the exact It's opposite? a success story. No, but it's the exact opposite of flavor of the month. Delicious. The, un, the unflavor of the year, I don't know. <laughs> now, some of the things he did say in this interview, Superman and Batman, as icons are bigger than the whole Marvel U, excluding Spider-Man, which is... To an extent, yes. yes. The reason that this is so irritating, coming from Snyder specifically, is because, you know what? We can be charitable and say that he might have the Citizen Kane of superhero movies in his hands. We don't know, right? Batman vs. Superman could be the greatest superhero movie of all time. The history of Zack Snyder's filmography doesn't support that claim, but it could happen, right? Stranger things have happened. Right now, though, he doesn't have anything to back up his boasting, except for a trailer that, quite frankly, looked like everything else, right? That awful Superman vs. Batman trailer with... What was it? Do you bleed? Red capes are coming. Yeah, all of that. It was and just... like among, what if- And straight amongst rumors that Warner Entertainment is trying to take... Superman out of the Superman movie mm-hmm. and adding, you know, doing more Batman-y, more batman Poor Henry Cavill. I just feel so bad for him. I do, because... 
Nobody who ever played Superman came out good of that. Brandon Routh, he took him years, yeah, years to but, recover. And now he's doing, you know, with but, all the respect to Legends of Tomorrow, he's doing a bit part in TV shows. And doing better there. Well, this is what it always goes back to. It's like, in the role, they're fine. Cavill is fine. Routh is fine. It's just that the script requires them to do really, really dumb things. And the movies reflect that quality. And then, you know, you associate the low quality with the actor instead of the script. I just need Snyder to actually have done something that would merit talking trash. Because right now he doesn't have a leg to stand on. And that's unfortunate. Hopefully better movie news. I Kill Giants, uh, the movie version based on the very, very good comic Mm. by Joe Kelly and J.M.K. Nomura gets his main casting. Madison Wolf, who played in True Detective, will play Barbara, the teenage right. protagonist. And Zoe Saldana will play her guidance counselor. I thought they were going to cast her as the mother. No, because Madison oh. Wolf is as wide as the driven snow. Oh, well, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. Well, but okay, well, the guidance counselor does have a bigger role. Yeah, the mother mostly spends her time sitting and staring at the sun. As How do you feel about the prospect of an I Kill Giants film, though? Could be good, could be bad. The director didn't do anything. He made a award-winning short movie. Mm-hmm. But we don't know anything about him from that. So it could be... I don't know. It could be great. It could be terrible. It could be just in between. What's interesting is that Zoe Saldana is trying to compete, I think, because this is her <laughs> third... She's com- the Charles Soleil of... Uh, no, no, no. Uh, who, of comic book who films. Who played all of these male roles in comic book movies? Yeah, Captain America. Am- no, Captain <laughs> America, The Losers, The Avengers. Oh, Chris Evans. Yes, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Right. Fantastic Four. There so you go. She was in Guardians of the Galaxy. She was in The Losers, and now she's in this one. So it's a company... Good for her. Yeah. You know, she's a good actress. She's done yeah. a great job so far. Fantastic. More movie news. Mm-hmm. Director Rupert Wyatt has dropped out of the Gambit movie, citing a conflict with another project. The universe does not want this movie. Take the hint. Cosmic forces are aligning against this film. Any day now, we're going to find out Channing Tatum has had some horrible, <laughs> disfiguring accident, and now he looks like Steve Buscemi. Terrible things are happening here, and this movie does not need to exist. Gambit does not exist in the Marvel Cinematic... Well, I say the Marvel Cinematic Universe, right? Like the Fox mm-hmm. Marvel Cinematic Universe, except as Taylor Kitsch. That's not a comparison that anybody wants because it requires that you acknowledge Wolverine Origins. So yeah. I would be okay with this not happening. This production... Usually it has to be managed by Terry Gilliam to reach the, <laughs> these levels of, of, you know, pain yeah. or Guillermo del Toro. After your lead actor dies, mm-hmm. I think that's the point where you're like, you know... I need to reconsider things. Uh, Speaking speak of Guillermo del Toro, have you heard the news? That Pacific Rim, Rim has been postponed because... You know, he has had a, a run of bad luck lately yeah. in all of his yeah, projects. Mountains of Madness, Frankenstein, Silent Hills, Hellboy Free. He was going to do a horror game with Hideo Kojima starring Norman Reedus, and that didn't work out. I feel like maybe we should invite him to come write comics... But I'm afraid of what would happen if he did that. Maybe Guillermo del Toro is the new Terry Gillum. They have this visual flair and the... They do, but... Uh, yeah, sad. And del Toro has been pushing for Hellboy 3 for I don't even know how long. Ron Perlman is like 100 years old and he's still down for it. And they're not letting him do it. And they just like, let him do it. Did you see this fan art poster that someone posted of Hellboy with like two baby Hellboys jumping into the battle after him? 
It was so cute. Why can't we have it? Because we can't have nice things. We can have <sighs> Superman v. Batman, batman Yeah. We cannot have Hellboy free. We can bleed. Uh, comic news? Comic news. Okay. So, there's been a bit of a change at Dark Horse. Scott Alley is stepping down as editor-in-chief and being replaced by Dave Marshall. Now, I looked up Dave Marshall's... Editorial Editorial work. credentials, I suppose you could say. Lots and of Star Wars. Oh my, I think he was basically managing the Star Wars license while it was at Dark Horse, which... Takes a lot of work. I, I feel bad enough for him on the basis of how Marvel screwed him over with, you know, let him have editor-in-chief. I'm sure that his talents are useful. I'm sad to miss Scott Alley because while I'm not a fan of... Of a lot of the things that he supervised, uh, he was mostly uh, known for bringing in the Buffy comics. Mm. The Buffy comics have been terrible, but you know, but successful, successful, and also I guess there's some merit to continuing a popular fictional universe without it going off the rails, even if the quality isn't much to write home about. So on those merits. It's kind of sad that he's stepping down. Apparently, his new position is executive senior editor. I don't know what that means. Well, obviously, he's going to senior edit the executives. Or is gonna, he? Or he's going to edit Or is the he exec- the executive of all senior editors? I think he's going to edit the executive seniors. What about the junior executives? I don't... Uh, it's very confusing. It's, uh, but he's still a dark horse. Uh, I think he was also responsible for bringing in Umbrella Academy. That's good. Which would be an accomplishment no matter which way you slice it. So, um, odd news. Mm. Korean superhero The White Fox, which apparently was the creation of Disney Korea for some Marvel-rated webtoon, that's the translation, Okay, is going to appear in the Marvel Universe in Contest of Champions by Al Ewing, at least as a side character. Okay. That's strange. Not enough of a reason to put down $5 for an Al Ewing. Yeah, but Mar- well, Marvel bringing in characters that Disney creates into their fictional universe. Because Marvel have Disney comics for the last two years now. They have Figment and hmm. uh, Thunder Mountain Railroad, but you don't see them in the Marvel universe. I wonder Amazing if... as it would have been, I would really want to see US-1 versus Razorback versus Thunder Mountain Railroad I'm comics. surprised they haven't brought in Big Hero 6. You would think that after the movie, that would have been their top priority. Well, maybe priority. after Secret Wars. Or maybe Disney tells them, please don't touch this. <laughs> maybe Disney's be... like, no, 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 we've seen what you do to your characters. Yeah. You can't... Somebody... I, know, I know you made this originally, but do not touch. Somebody's going to get raped. And, you know, Baymax is going to have like... Edgier. He's going to come back painted black with red no, eyes. No, no, no. Baymax is the son of the Vision. And the, the oh. third cousin of Ultron. No, no. Better that they don't. On the surface of it, I don't think it's a problem for Disney to be introducing characters into Marvel. Lord knows they could use the help. Clearly, Marvel have not been doing so well in terms of creating new characters. I wonder, though, if Star Wars was the test bed for this, right? Because Disney is creating new characters, and Marvel is producing the tie-in comics that feature these characters. So maybe there's something to that. I hope it works out. You know, I don't know anything about White Fox, but I would definitely The design see. isn't very good. It's like generic superhero design, and she has this big F on her belly. What does F have to do with anything? Fox. Oh. For Fox, but... That can be taken in a lot of wrong ways. I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> no. WF? WTF. <laughs> uh, well, in- it's not a bad design, it's just not very inspiring. And knowing nothing of the character, but 
the way she looks, I have to judge the book by its cover, and the cover isn't very inspiring. If, But they gave her to Al Ewing, which is good. If Contest of Champions were $2 cheaper, I would say let's go for mm. it. But it's a $5 comic, and it's Contest of Champions. Even with Al Ewing, I don't think that it's enough. Mm. I'm guessing that she's appearing in this book specifically to bring in people like us who say $5 isn't enough of a reason to go into this. But I don't think... Mm. Even with the new character, or if Contest of Champions became a platform for introducing new characters, I still think it wouldn't be enough. Speaking of reasons not to read Marvel comics, uh, several Marvel titles recently oh, yes. have been misprinted, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. with ads within double-page spreads, including A Force number four. Oh my goodness. So These are four <laughs> and five dollar comics, when... which feature for your five dollars ads In the double page spreads. Well, let, let's give some context. Spread. Let's give some context for this. This happened immediately after DC's quote unquote grand experiment in which with their printed comics, they started bringing in ads. Nick Milchay yeah, offering you chocolate Hopefully bricks. never to return. It disappeared. Hopefully they learned the right lessons from that. I don't know what the financial outcome was, but in any event, it wasn't a popular move. And Marvel, a few months later, printed Double-page ads that intersected double-page spreads of the comic. Now, this opened up a lot of discussion. And again, it is sort of the same old discussion of how much we're willing to tolerate as books become more and more expensive. Well, you're not able to tolerate anything because you only read digital. That's true. I don't have to put up with it either way. But I do have sympathy yeah, I, for people who again, do. Again, I'm not a conspiracy-minded person, but all of these things appear to be Marvel trying to push people out of the direct market because they get more of the cut from Comixology if you buy from Comixology. Or from their own app. Which See, is, Tom Brevard... It's, it's, you know, financially it's understandable, but as someone who's friend with retailers, it's, I'm like... <laughs> yeah, it's, it's... With, you know, personal interest aside. It's been part of the narrative of the industry for a couple of years now that the local comic shops are going out of business and everything is collapsing and Diamond is strangling oh, the industry. Not. You know, it's been like this ongoing dialogue. The sky is falling, the sky is falling, yeah. the sky is falling. Now, you started this by saying it was a misprint. The reason That's that... That's what they're saying. The reason we're attributing this to a misprint is because Tom Brevert went on Twitter and said that this was a printer error. It does not represent a deliberate choice. Now... Coming from anyone else, I would say that that seems like the sensible approach because why would you interrupt a double-page spread? It doesn't even make any sense on the surface of it, right? I can understand DC's idea, logically, if not ethically, of taking a page and cutting it in half because the content is still there and you're just looking at it horizontally instead of vertically. On a superficial level, it would seem to make sense. But when you have a double-page spread and then you stick two pages of ads on In the middle of it, it seems like it could only be a mistake, but this is Marvel, and the person saying this is Tom Brevard, who quite frankly, I wouldn't trust if he said the sky was blue. So I don't know what to think of this. If the end result is that it drives people away from diamond, right away from direct distribution, away from comic shops and towards digital, I don't know what the end result of that would be. If we were only working in a digital medium, obviously you wouldn't have to pay extra shipping internationally for no. books, right? You wouldn't have to pay ridiculous sums for shipping overseas, all of that well, nonsense. Well, I, I, it doesn't really matter because you pay $4 on digital, you pay $4 on, on printed page. Would the comics be cheap? Well, 
No, because Marvel Lo- would steal... Exactly. Marvel wouldn't cheapen their comics price. That is exactly it. Any other company, I have to imagine, if they did not have to pay Diamond, right? If they did not have to pay for distribution of their comics, if it was only digital, and this is like basically a free platform, the only thing you would have to pay for would be a server to host these comics. And I imagine that Marvel owns their own servers. So... Any other company, I would imagine they would drop the price subsequently if they went purely digital. Monkey Brain, for example, is cheaper. Yeah. Monkey Brain doesn't charge $5. You, you, can, do a, you can do a subscription for 2000 AD. I think it's much cheaper than their, much. Than their physical comics. But not, then, not Tokyo Pop. Viz. 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 Right. That's you, you, could do, you could do at the time, you know, Viz for like, I think, $20 a year for, sure. you know, hundreds of pages every single month. But Marvel, no. Marvel, that's the point of contention. Even if they weren't paying print costs, they would still be charging $5 because they know they can get away with it. Yeah, they're always testing the water for how far their fandom will take. And most of us will take quite a lot, apparently. I don't know if that's true. Because because when you look at the sales charts... See, I remember when people said $4 comics, I would jump ship. Nobody jumped ship? Almost nobody jumped ship. Then how do you account for the monthly decrease in sales? Uh, No, that was always there, because if you look at events, if you look at their big comics, nothing changed. I'm sorry, you know, yeah. Secret Wars still sells by the bushload, even though a lot Does of them... Does sta- Yes, yes, Secret Wars and the Times sells terrifically. That's really depressing. And a lot of them started with $5 comic. Remember, first of issue, $5. They did. Star Wars. The last what? issue is $5, too. The selling issue of the year. Star Wars number one. How much did it cost? Four ninety nine. Four ninety nine for how many pages? Not nearly enough. enough. Yeah, and, it, and it's not a bad comic. You know, Marvel publish a lot of good comic, a lot of bad comic, a lot of medium comics, but they publish good comic because when you can afford every single creator in the industry, you have good creators coming for you, want or not. You have your Jason Aaron, your Greg Wiseman's, your whatever, Ed Brubaker's at the time. But there comes a point when I say, no, you can I don't read Marvel right now, not because of some issue with ethics or something, simply because why would I pay $5? No, it really does reach for, for a ridiculous things, amount of yeah. money. Like when you tabulate all of the interesting number ones, we're going to discuss the previews shortly. If you were to count how many four ninety nine titles stack up, right, and you want to look at these number ones because they're interesting, because maybe they have something to appeal to you, you just can't do it. Yeah, the only know? number ones I'm going to read in the in the following months are the ones we're going to decide to review for just exactly. for review purposes, solely for review purposes. I can't. You know, you're saying like not ethically, but I think that it is an ethical issue. I think that when you are paying $4.99 for a comic, you are contributing to a system that is abusing you. It is taking advantage of fandom, as it were, and milking them dry. And it's just, it's really sad. It's a really unfortunate thing. Before we talk previews. Well, before we talk about previews, okay. I want to end our news section with a little bit of positivity. Okay. Noel Stevenson's Nimona has made the long list for the National Book Awards. Well deserved. It's a very prestigious award. And I hope that she gets it. It's the first web comic that's been nominated. Printed comics originally have been nominated before. Right. This is the first web comic. I don't has any comic ever actually won? I think I don't know if it won, but Wenlin Young's stuff has been mm. nominated twice. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Boxers and Saints mm-hmm. and American Born Chinese. I, I think I, would I think that. one of them won, but I wouldn't, you know, cross my fingers over it. Nimona is exceptional. I've raved about it before. I think it's good. I don't think it's like supremely great, but I, th- I think it's a good comic. I would say that it's supremely great. Okay. Largely because 
without getting into a review of Nimona. We'll review. We'll review it someday. Someday we'll yeah, get to we'll, it. We promise. But I, the future dates. But I do think that it is absolutely exceptional, and I hope that she wins it. Solicitations. And we can start with Marvel. Do we have to? <laughs> Like compounding sin upon sin. Not only is Marvel charging, I think they have like ten five dollar books now, or fourteen five dollar books now. Well, first issue five dollar, second issue four dollar. That's a great comfort. Uh, they have announced the theme of their variant cover month in December, nineteen ninety two. Tom, I'd like to take you back to nineteen ninety two. Come with me into my time machine of reminiscence. Were you reading comics back then? Uh, Lucky Luke and Asterix. So not the mainstream stuff. No, we didn't have these. Okay. I was the type of kid who, during the weekend, would visit the comic shop on a weekly basis with a couple of dollars of my allowance, going through the long boxes, all of that. I remember 1992 very vividly. And the fact that Marvel will now be putting variants on all their books in the style of 1992. We're talking, this is the period where Wolverine had like that blue hood and I think his nose fell off because. <laughs> oh, yes. oh yeah. The non-admentium period. Exactly. The savage Wolverine. Oh yes. You could shave his back and make a carpet out of it. Like the way that they were drawing him back then. So the prospect of going back for that really tells you a lot ben about. Ben Riley Spider-Man. Ben Riley Spider-Man introduction. See, it was the good title, but I really like the costume design of Ben Riley Spider-Man. Shatterstar. You remember <laughs> Shatterstar with the ponytail, and he had like one shoulder pad, only one, but it jutted out like six inches away from his chest. So it always looked like he was asymmetrical for some reason, and you couldn't understand why. And he had like a sword that was two very thin blades, and then nothing in the middle. So Cubist designed him. So what happened if he stabs? Like, what would what would that be? Why? Why? Nineteen ninety two. Why pick at the scab of our psychic trauma for the people who actually lived through that? I guess if you're a younger reader and you weren't there for nineteen ninety two. This might be weird, but I remember. I, I don't understand. See, I remember 2001 when I was just starting to read monthly. Their theme then was single character doing a pose. Didn't have to be in the book. All of the covers were, were basically posters. <laughs> yeah. Just boring posters with no personality whatsoever. Although the content made up for it. Because no, if you're it, talking 2001, this was yeah, the, the, beginning Marvel of, Knights. the beginning of the Jemis Quesada era, which was remembered fondly. Yes, it was. Although, not so much for the personality. But for the comics they created. For the comics they created. Okay. So, actual comics published. This is for December 2014. A-Force number one by G. Willow Wilson. uh, With hip-hop variant cover by Adam Hughes. What's the worst version? Because I like Adam Hughes, but hip-hop variant by Adam Hughes? I'm afraid to ask, because hip-hop and women... And Adam Hughes... Are they all going to be twerking on the cover? Uh, I don't. I don't want to. Anyway, go into that. okay. We reviewed the first issue of A Force Secret Wars. We did not like it. To reiterate what I said at the time of the review, I'm more inclined to read this now because Secret Wars is over. So this is like the actual A Force, the the story that actually matters going forward. I mean, we said this uh, during the last solicitation round, which is that the Secret Wars arc is being labeled as A Force Volume Zero. Yeah. That well, sums up my feelings yeah, towards it my exactly. With it were more than just simply being part of Secret Wars because there were storytelling issues there. Remember the giant laser fish? But all of that came from 
Like, why was there a giant laser fish? Why was there a wall? Why were all of because these characters of acting movie? weird? No, because of no, the No, he draw of... the giant laser fish, which, sure. which wasn't sure, is he shooting laser from his mouth, or are they shooting laser into his mouth? But Nobody I, I, knows. I feel like the answer to the that... The giant laser fish is a mystery. I feel like the answer to that lies somewhere in the lore of Battleworld, which I refuse to get into, so I don't even know... I mean, maybe there might be a perfectly reasonable explanation okay. for Laser Shark. We just don't know what it is. Totally Awesome Hulk number one. This is by Greg Pak and Frank Cho. So now Amadeus Cho is the Hulk. I guess Surprise! It, I guess it was his turn. Do they have like a wheel of Hulk supporting characters? Like, spin the wheel! Now, see, Rick Jones, see, I spin the wheel! because it's Greg Pak. And Greg Pak on the Hulk is good. Greg Pak and Amadeus Cho, better. He's Is a, it? Yes, because Amadeus Cho was a focal point in Pax and Van Lente's Incredible Hercules, which no. from my money is one of the better things Marvel did in the last 10 years. Ongoing issue. Ongoing really? series. I really love that series. I adored he it. He did Planet Hulk. That yes. was where it started, yes. right? And then that was the whole thing with Hercules coming in. I wasn't reading those issues at the time, but I do know that Pax Hulk, generally speaking, has been well-received. Yeah, and his Hercules is great. Not a $5, though. So. No. It's $5. Yeah. That uh, is Fra- exactly. Now, also, if, Frank Cho... Well, Frank Cho uh, is a good artist, and if he only draws the Hulk, if there are no women for him to ogle, basically, and objectify and do his Frank cho he's a good artist. He's a, he's he's a, a cheesecake artist. Yeah, but he, no, He's good... No, 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 he, no, he is a good artist, but I feel like, at some point... She-Hulk is going to come in for a, a guest-starring role, and then well, Frank Joe's going to be like, yippee! The first issue is totally awesome beach day. Oh, now you're just she asking Hulk for trouble. She-Hulk and Lady Hellbender. Nope. guest star. Nope. Nope. Do not pass go. Mm-hmm. Do not collect $200. Just no. Guardians of Infinity, written by Dan Abnett and Jason Latour, with art by Carlo Barbary and Jim Chung. Mm-hmm. That's a strong team, both on writing and on art. It is. And Could the, you make sense of the solicitations? Well, because I yes, have no yeah, because idea. it's basically a Guardians team up with all the variant versions of the Guardians team we had. So we have the Dan Abnett Guardians series from the early 2000s, the one okay. Bendis was writing up until recently. We have the original 1970s Guardians of the Galaxy, which, you know, from right. Future Earth. Okay. We have the characters from Guardians 3000, which I didn't read, but it's a different Aren't team. Aren't they the Guardians from Guardians? No, no, no. It's a different oh. team from the year 3000. Too many Guardians, too many Yeah, Guardians. and we have someone called Guardian 1000. Now, which is new, I guess. Yes, so... Circa the year 1000? <laughs> maybe. Well, what, what does that even mean? Well, it's a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. So oh, really no, no! They're going to be Jedi! No. No. <laughs> uh, it's probably a whole bunch of characters, but Dan Abnett is good with juggling a huge cast mm-hmm. of cosmic characters. Jason Latour is a good writer overall. Yeah. Um, Jim Chung, good artist. It's I don't, a solid team. Yeah, it's a solid team. And I don't know if I would read it just because I don't... No, and again, $5 is too much. I love the Guardians as they were in the film, but I don't think that I want to dive into... Because Dan Abnett has a very long history of writing the Guardians, and I don't know if... This is a fresh start, or if it's yeah, a continuation? It's, uh, yeah, it seems to be a fresh start. Because, just because they're pulling characters from different continuities and different universes, it's probably right. going to be like our own thing, which is good. Okay, it's, um, it's, it's possible. It's, it's, it's interesting, but again, $5. For $4, I would give it a shot. $5? $5, no. mm, if there's nothing else on that week we need to review, maybe. Yes. Yeah. Uh. So it's been a while since we announced a new Charles Soleil book. I really feel like during the last couple Five minutes. Of, 
No, uh, November we didn't bring him up at all. Well, we didn't bring him up. Doesn't mean he didn't exist. <laughs> he was because we didn't, there. We, because we didn't look dynamite solicitations. <laughs> that's true, actually. But I, I do. I think he did Voltron. No, let, wait, that's Colin Bunn. Let me say this. This is going to be a controversial opinion mm-hmm. because I know that I'm speaking against the consensus here. I wasn't a fan of Wade's Daredevil. Oh, I'm, I'm saying it. I know. I know. My thing with it is, you know, I identify so strongly with the Miller Bendis Brubaker tone. And I know that Wade was working against that on purpose. Like that, that was his point to make Daredevil more of a swashbuckler, more of a quippy kind Sean, of person. Sean. It just wasn't for me. Sean, what else do you do not like? Puppies? I, children? I'm allergic to orphanage. Dogs, so, and I hate kids. So, well, yeah, so far you're on a, you're on a roll here. Yeah. Candy. But, <laughs> well, no, actually. Oh, candy I love. Okay. So I wasn't a fan of Wade. I know that he had his moments, and it's not something that I would say, oh my god, it's terrible, don't read it. It's just like, not for me. If there's one writer at Marvel who could get me to come back to Daredevil after Wade, it would be Charles Soleil. And here he is with Ron Garney doing a Daredevil series, back in black, back in New York City. Soleil's She-Hulk was good. I enjoyed it. It had its problems. I'm not going to say that it's not. But I feel like Daredevil might be a better fit for him. And I really want to see what he's doing here. And it's not $5, so my conscience is clean. Charles Soleil is also doing all new Inhumans, number one and two, which we can ignore because we don't care. I don't care. And you know what? There was a bit of news talking about how it seems very apparent now that Marvel is trying to remove the X-Men and bring the Inhumans in in their place. Something like all the mutants have been sterilized now because of the Terrigen mist, and they're all going to die. Again. And the Inhumans are awakening and flourishing and whatever. Are you familiar with the webcomic Waiting for the Trade? No. It's a webcomic once a week that basically pokes fun at Marvel Comics, specifically usually the X-Men, with old like Arrested Development gags and stuff like that. The author had a very specific point, which was, you know, if you don't like the situation with the X-Men now and you feel like... Disney really is enforcing the sort of crackdown. Just wait a couple of years. They'll be back. No, because Marvel is trying really hard to make the Inhumans happen, and they just don't happen. The sales aren't there. No. The public response isn't there. It's, it's too Follow- late. Yeah, yeah. Another one. Uh, Uncanny Inhumans, written by, we've mentioned him, Colin Bunn, with art by Greg Land, which we can ignore. No, it's a crossover between the Inhumans and oh. the X-Men. Um, it's like Uncanny Avengers. It's the team-up book. Hmm. The problem with the Inhumans, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is also trying to push them now. Yeah. Everybody's Marvel... Is it's really- not going to work, though, because you are not dealing with characters who were A-listers once and then fell out of favor. As far as I can remember, even going back to the Kirby days, Black Bolt and Medusa and Karnak and Lockjaw and all of these weirdos... And they were misfits within the Marvel Universe. And nobody really cared, ever. No, no, no. There were good stories, but they were never like, oh, I want to read an ongoing... Because there is something there. I really like the Paul Jenkins Maxi series, which was 12 issues of science fiction and political backstabbing. And there is something interesting there. But Marvel is intentionally trying to push away from this interesting alien culture and basically make them into X-Men that they can trade. They're from. calling them the new humans yes. now. So it's, you know, it, it just, the it's new not humans, a convincing but we setup. Pronounce, but we pronounce the word new like an X for right. some reason, apparently. Because if, where you is know, you know where is the Inhuman Wolverine? Ten years the, the ago, the one that they can—that's the thing, exactly. Ten years ago, well, the Inhuman Wolverine, from their perspective, would be Ms. Marvel, right? Ten years ago, Ms. Marvel mm-hmm. would have been a mutant. 
Molly from The Runaways was a mutant. The problem is, when people talk about Ms. Marvel's appeal, her inhumanity is the last thing that anyone cares about. And they did... I mean, Jill Willow Wilson did try to situate this. She goes, she visits Medusa. Yeah, the, the, the end of Day's arc was basically uh, with the inhuman... Right. And you know, she, she teams up with uh, with Lockjaw, and yes. it's, it's cute. You know, he has, like, this little sign that says... Yeah, but Lockjaw was always a thing apart. You know, when you yeah. read the pet, you know, pet <laughs> Avengers, you don't think, oh, it's the inhuman saga continued. Yeah, so the inhumans have a really big problem in terms of marketing in terms of recognition and marvel has not been able to convince anyone yet that they could ever be as popular or as interesting as the x-men it's just a problem of history right they don't have the 30 years of good stories now this is interesting simply for the writer starbrand the night mask written by greg wiseman our lord and savior Mm. greg wiseman and drawn by someone called domo stanton can I have no idea who that is. New, uh, new I think. Hmm? I think he's new. No, sound. All right. Because I don't know who he is, I assume he's new. This is the Avengers, the Jonathan Hickman super cosmic versions of these characters that originally appeared. Not in the, the new universe, then. Not the original universe. This it's is the, the new... Okay. The, the new... It's not even the new universe, because the new new universe was the Warren Ellis one. So it's the newest new universe. You remember when we were reviewing Kanan and I said, I really wish Greg Wiseman was doing something else? Wish granted. Well, I wish him to do both, and he's I'm, doing both. I'm, I'm getting this. Yeah. yeah Greg know, Wiseman and, writing a, an ongoing comic? Do- Thank you. Just four dollars. The day no. came when we said just four dollars. Sad, but true. Here's one that I really don't know how mm. to feel about. So, Weird World number one, written mm. by Sam Humphreys, art by Mike Del Mundo. Okay. A girl named Becca is stuck in Weird World. She wants to go home. So, we've lost Jason Aaron. We've lost Archon, whatever his name was. And we get Humphreys. And I don't know if Humphreys can do this. Humphreys is, Humphreys is the comic version of one of these young directors who do a very successful indie movie and then he's immediately snatched by the big studios to do their... What was his successful indie movie? Our Love is Real, which was a very small, he basically printed himself graphic novel, which got rave reviews. It was very odd, sorry about the future, in which all love is, the physical love is completely free between everything and everybody. Mm Mm-hmm. So it was apparently very transgressive. I haven't read it, but it's got rave reviews. Okay. And he was snatched almost immediately after that. You know, like, I think less than a year after this thing came out by Marvel. And it's He not was writing on Kenny X-Force and, and, and something else. And Star-Lord. Star-Lord, that and would be And now it. he's doing Star-Lord and Kitty Parade for uh, Secret Wars. And none of it's... It's not bad, but it's just okay-ish. It's like... Fine, there are much better stuff out there, even in Marvel, so... He's not a point of conversation. Yeah. When Uncanny X-Force was coming out, I don't remember anyone ever telling me, like, oh my god, you have to read this book, you're not going to believe what happened. Like, it was sort of this thing that just kept coming out, and... Because... It's the same with the Star-Lord series. Like, yeah, there hasn't been anything there that... I think new that... creators need some time to shape up their personality as a writer, their own voice before... They try to mix in with Marvel because imagine if Jason Aaron was snatched immediately after The Other Side, his original Vertigo miniseries. Well, before, let's not pretend. Before, no, before doing Scott or Ed Brubaker. If no, he but... only did his own thing, uh, what was it called? The, his original small creative An thing. accidental death or an accidental fall? No, no, even the before fall. that. The one he drew himself. The fall. Maybe. 
Yeah. You know, he did Sin of the Crime, and he did a lot of other stuff, and then he was snatched by Marvel. But talent, I think, plays a part of this, too. Because, like, well, you're, you're saying, like, what would happen if Jason Aaron had been picked up before Scalped? Well, Jason Aaron, it's not like his early work was that great. You know, oh, when he I was just... doing, like, the Hellfire Kids, and he was doing the, the female ghostwriter before I, Robbie Ray. I disagree. I really like his work. All of it. It was, you know, it wasn't as good as some no, of the later I, stuff that I came think, out. You know, so in general, idea, I can't, you know, I can't speak about hypothetical universes about the maybe, but it appears to me that you need some time. Mm. You need to shape up your own voice before you try to go in to Marvel or DC, because if you go in just half formed, as it were, your own voice is going to be subsumed, and all the uniqueness is going to be just washed away. The reason that I'm having so much difficulty here is. I mean, I enjoyed Weird World, but I don't know if Humphreys instead of Aaron is enough. And also and a different all, protagonist. Yeah, and they tell us nothing about her. A girl stuck in Weird World. Wh- why is she there? Wh- what's Are she we like? supposed to know who she is or no, is she a new character? Becca. It's, it's not a very That could be anybody. Movie. Yes. That could be bu- that could be like the female Blank version Man. of Bucky Barnes. I don't know who Blank that is. Blank Woman is stuck in the... You know, because they're saying barbarians, wizards, they're going for the sword they're, and sorcery They're, they're angle. just hoping that the good name that Jason Aaron and Mike Del Mundo created is going to carry on on its own without mm. Jason Aaron and the character. I feel like I'll check out the first issue, but I, it really does depend on how well mm. Humphreys can maintain the things. And he does still have Del Mundo on his side. So artistically, at least, there's going to be a through line here. I just don't know if Humphreys can pull it off. Speaking of new talent, which actually had the time to create its own voice... Petsy Walker Hellcat. Mm. That's an oldie. Uh, written by Kate Leff and drawn by Brittany Williams. Oh, Patsy. Oh, Patsy. They're- now, I know why they're doing this. Because Patsy Walker is going to appear in Jessica Jones. And they do it every decade or so. There was the Catherine Imminent thing. Catherine Imminent. A few which years really wasn't back. very good. Yeah, and she was part of Kurt Music Avengers for like half an arc. During was she? The, during the early 2000s, yes. This was before Jeff Johns. Yeah, Kurt Music. Oh, I don't know what it is about her that makes her so difficult for writers. She's old, and in comic book, old so is classic. No, but I mean, they keep tr- let, Iron Fist is old too, and they keep trying to bring him back. Remember that horrible uh, Carrie Andrews? Yes. Oh, <laughs> so pretty, so bad. Well, we we knew where that was going, though. Yeah. But I mean, before that, you had Brubaker and Fraction. Is like, I don't think that it's old. It's something about how many her. versions of, of Moon Knight did we have? She's a lot like Tigra. These characters who are always on the periphery, and they have all of this history. Like, if you were to look at Patsy Walker's history in the Marvel Universe, she's been around for a while. She started as a Marvel character. She was in a romantic book. Nothing to do with superheroes, and then they just used the name and stuck it into a generic street-level superhero. And then she married Damon Hellstorm, the the, the son son of of Satan. Satan. Married the son of Satan. Because she was called Hellcat. Yeah, and now she's like a cosmic, and then she was a cosmic character. It's the history is so weird. It's it so is. nothing to do with nothing else. Started as a supermodel, then a superhero. Although Kate Leth has found an interesting angle for that. The way that she's setting this up, as I understood it, was the romance model Patsy Walker mm-hmm. stuff was the protagonist of a series of romance novels that Patsy's mother wrote. So Patsy is identified with this. Cat. It's it's unwritten, basically. Okay. It's the unwritten setup. No, with, with no, no. Hellcat. It's worse. It's Fifty Shades of Hellcat. Oh, we don't have to do that to Kate Leth. 
We don't no, have to no, do no. that. Let's not look, go look, all look, the way. Look, I, I, I like Kate Lath. History shows. We mm-hmm. both appreciate Kate Lath. But I don't see this thing surviving after issue eight. I just... I just I don't, don't know. See, I would have said that before Unbeatable Squirrel Girl became a thing. Well, it's not a thing. I they, mean, the fact that Squirrel Girl has another ongoing. Yeah, but it, it's holding on by sheer Fred, I think. The sales aren't very good. I really like that series. Wouldn't Marvel have canceled it then? Maybe they forgot. I don't know. Or, I may, don't know. or maybe... They, sometimes they find these small series they believe in and they try again. And again, you know, Agents of Atlas, which... Mm. Another thing I really liked, and they tried like four times to revive it, Agents of Atlas vs. Avengers, Agents of Atlas vs. X-Men, right. it just didn't work, and you can't fault them for trying on that one. So, you know, they're trying, and good for them, I just, I'm not sure if it'll succeed. Well, I'm looking forward to reading it mm. as, I mean, I don't have any attachment to Hellcat, because she's Hellcat, but I feel like she could be one of those characters who's waiting for the right writer, and we'll see, we'll see how it goes. Okay. That's a weird one. We need to talk about this. Okay, so Gwenpool is apparently a thing. Gwenpool special number one, written by... Let, let me read this this talent list. Okay, so we've got Jerry Duggan, Charles Soleil, Christopher Hastings, Danilo Beirut, Langdon Foss, Guru Hero, and others. Or Langdon various. Foss and Guru Hero. That's usually enough for me to buy something. Okay. okay. First of all, it's $6. Let's start there, right? Let's start with the fact that it's five ninety nine. I need you to explain Gwenpool to me, because I've read the solicitation text three times, and I'm still not sure what okay. I'm looking at here. Uh, Gwenpool was really just a joke in, in one of the alternate covers of the Deadpool tying to Secret Wars, uh, okay. Deadpool's Secret Secret Wars, which was, because it's Deadpool, a tying with the original Secret Wars. It was, what if Deadpool was in the Secret Wars? Oh, no. It, uh, yeah, it wasn't very... It wasn't... I've read the first issue. It wasn't very good. It wasn't very bad. So she was just there. And apparently people really like that cover. And just as all the kids' covers that mm. they did for a long time became a thing... They did Gwenpool. Yeah, they did Gwenpool, and now it's a thing. Now she exists. Yes. And Marvel, when they see just... This an- is Marvel- Gwen Stacy as Deadpool. Deadpool. Marvel don't even need to see a trend in order to squeeze. They just see the hints of maybe there's a trend of something. Because, well, Spider-Gwen was a thing, so obviously every Gwen is a thing. So expect in the next year to be annoyed X-Gwen. and bored by Squirrel Gwen, uh, Modo Gwen. The Mighty Gwen. Yes. Ungwen Inhumans. Gwen Vengers. Gwen Lactus. Gwenum. Gwenum. Gwenum is going to happen. Gwenum is going to happen. I'm Gwanage. calling it right now. Gwanage. Mm. <laughs> it sounds like a, like a hot sauce. It sounds like a disease. <laughs> It I, is a I, of marketing. This a is one of, of the, language. This is one of those situations. It's, it's, it's like in 1984, George Orwell predicted a lot of things. Oh my he god! He predicted new dictionary, he d- new speak. He did not predict the, the Gwen speak. No, I don't think he knew that that would the, be coming. double Gwen good. What would he have done if he had known? <laughs> the creative team is impressive, but this seems Spider like Spider Gwen sort of... was always there, Sean. We have always was been she? We have always been at war with DC Comics. No, I refuse to accept that. Gwen loves you. Okay, so... Well, no, there are a few okay, other points okay. of interest with Marvel. Scarlet Witch number one. James Robinson and art by Vanessa Del Rey. Is there a point of interest there? Well, okay. I'll admit that at this point, reading a Robinson book is an exercise in futility. But there's sort of a an interesting connection here, because with regards to Wanda Maximoff and with regards to James Robinson, these are both people that I really wish 
could make good on their reputation, could reclaim some of their past popularity, and really have like a decent solo book, I would really like James Robinson to write a good comic before I die. I've got like 50 or 60 years left. I don't know how old he is, but you know, I will, within that period of time, I would like something nice because Airboy was crap. I don't care how many critics enjoyed it. I thought it was absolute drivel. But Wanda also has been really maligned as a character as for the history of Marvel. Someone brought this up in a recent conversation and I was horrified and fascinated and horrified again. I think that this was Kurt Busiek who basically had Wanda turn evil, or it might have been Claremont, turns evil and then does something to Wonder Man that I cannot talk about on a PG-13 podcast, but that you know what I'm referring to. In Court Music's run, she summoned him back to life. So it was probably Claremont then before. I I don't know. When when Claremont writes called Witch... He was writing The Avengers, wasn't he? At Claremont? Some point? No, Jeff Johnson was writing after that, but... Who was before Busiek? Nobody. Stern? That was Heroes Reborn. No, no. I'm t- no, no, no. This is before Heroes Reborn. Oh. We're, we're talking late... Eight- this is around the period that West Coast I, Avengers yeah, was still a so thing. Probably Stern or something, but I did not... I never read these comics. So, I mean, this is a character who has really been through the ringer in terms of convoluted, unnecessary baggage. She's Magneto's daughter. She's not Magneto's daughter. She's Magneto's daughter. She's not Magneto's daughter. She can alter reality. No, she can't. Black Dr. magic, Doom. cast magic, gypsy... Everybody wants to marry her. Nobody Bova. actually wants a Bova... Oh, Bova. So, now, here comes James Robinson, who is also in dire need of redemption. And I feel like, this is the optimist in me, even though I know better. I feel like, wouldn't it be great if this comic turned out to be good? Wouldn't it be amazing? Well, it's great if any comic turns out to be good. No, no, so. here specifically, like, I, with all of their histories and all of their disappointments, the idea that a Scarlet Witch book by James Robinson could turn out well... I know I'm wishing for too much, but I would really like that to happen. The other point of, well, interest, I say in quotation marks, going back to Star Wars, C-3PO is getting a special. Sure, why not? Whatever. I mean, it's his turn. But here's... At least they're not trying to turn it into a series. Like, yeah, it's a special. And then Darth Vader and Star Wars, which are the two ongoings, are getting annuals and it's a crossover. Makes sense. So, it doesn't make sense. I'll, I'll tell you why it doesn't make sense. These are very different books with very different sensibilities, right? Kieran Gillen and Jason Aaron do not write. Yeah, but these the same two books way. are tied. They are. Ti- they are sort of tied plot. No, no, no. The first issue of Star Wars basically leads straight to the first issue yes, of, of Darth Vader. But there's a pricing issue here, which is that these books are still crazy expensive. Yes. So a crossover between them means that you are now. I mean, if you want to get the complete story, you need to be buying both. Yes. Which is a really scummy move when you are pricing your books at four ninety nine. Oh Marvel. Oh Marvel. Oh DC. Let's move on now, to DC. This is it's interesting to me. Harley's little black book number one mm. a bi monthly oversized team up series in which Harley Queen meets and teams up with various heroes and villains. First issue features Wonder Woman. Okay. Written by Amanda Carmer and Jimmy Palmiotti and drawn by Amanda Carmer. People are still acting as if Wonder Woman is the biggest female character in this universe. She's not. She needs to be brought in. Define biggest. Wonder Woman now needs to be brought in into the Harley Quinn 
third book, not secondary book, third book, to boost her name up. Doesn't that prove that Wonder Woman is a bigger character? No, no. They need to boost Wonder Woman, so they bring her to meet Harley Quinn. No, they need to boost Harley Quinn, so they're bringing... No, in... they don't. Yeah. Harley Quinn now is an ongoing series. She just finished her Harley Quinn and Power Girl miniseries, and now they're... Wasn't doing... that also Connor and Palmiotti? Yes, and now they're okay. doing a thing, and all of them sell better than Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman is DC's universe biggest female character in name only. Simply because she's their oldest female character. In terms of sales, of recognition, of, you know, who the cosplayers go in to the cons as. No, 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 no. I have seen more than enough Wonder Woman cosplay. And that's before she was even, she's even in the movie. That's before we even see Suicide Squad on the screen. Now, see, I don't really like these books. I've tried to read them. I don't really no. like them. But you cannot argue with this kind of success. They took a B-level character. The girlfriend of a Batman antagonist, which is what she was most of the but time. But Harley Quinn was a breakout character from the very no, no, beginning. She was a breakout character in the TV show. You know, they tried and to do translated. comics. She had their solo series before. It, they never succeeded like this. At this point, she's DC's Deadpool. I have a theory about that. Okay. I wonder if her rising popularity now might be a reaction to the general tone of the DC universe post-52. Because if you were looking for this kind of wacky slapstick comedy, where would you go besides Harley? Like, what other books that DC is currently publishing have that tone? The next one I'm going to talk about. Oh, well, besides that one, <laughs> okay. uh, we'll get to that. It's in the minority. So maybe that's the reason why more readers are gravitating towards her now, because at least she's cracking jokes. At least it's something, right? I could never really reconcile this version of Harley Quinn with the version that I am familiar with. So for me, it was never a point of interest. But I guess, is this an ongoing, this black book, or it's special? Uh, it appears to be an ongoing. It's a bi-monthly team-up book. It's well, four, it's also four ninety nine, but it's forty eight pages, which is fine for me. Forty eight pages, okay. uh, you know, it's I'm not, not going to read it for but... me, but yeah, I recognize that it is for someone. Okay, and it works for them. Right. Let's get crazy. Okay. Batman and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number one, another DC IDW crossover. This one written by James Tinney and the fourth art by Freddie E. Williams the second. I like how that yeah. works out with the with the numerals. So the Foot Clan come to Gotham. The turtles follow. I have to imagine that Batman would take them in stride. He'd be like, "Guys, meet Killer Croc. It's cool. I'm good." Is it the robot Foot Clan, the human Foot Clan, the demon Foot Clan? Which version of the turtles? Well, this is about? an IDW crossover. My guess would yeah, be yeah, but IDW publishes right now their version, the, okay. the ongoing comic version. And they published the comic book version of the current TV show. You're kidding me. No, wait a minute. But in the current TV show, aren't they also human? Well, yeah. I don't know. The robot version was from the 1990s. Yeah. Okay. Listen, there's enough turtle continuity just on TV for them to do a multiverse movie. So I don't even... I don't know. But in any event, for all we know, this could be the original (laughs) turtles who would actually be better fits in Gotham now that I think about it. Have you seen the... Turtle uh, direct-to-TV movie Turtles Forever. That's the one I'm talking about. Yeah, where all the turtles from yeah, all the... It's, it's, it was surprisingly good. It was, but it was really confusing. If you're not a turtle fan. They, I mean, introdu- they actually introduced the original black and white characters. I know, they turn and, up in the middle. And then it's like... And they're the, all talking like Frank Miller parodies. Oh my god. They're narrating their own adventures. And, like, and you had all the different I shredders. I strike in the night. It was like really... Why are you talking to yourself? Quiet. 
I must monologue. My God. <laughs> they were actually in black and white. Yes, yes. I, and the backgrounds were all comic still. That movie was insane. insane. But that in just goes way. to show you how convoluted it is. So I don't know which version it is, but that's one unusual Batman, Batman crossover. crossover. The other one is Batman 66 <laughs> meets the men from Uncle, which I guess they greenlighted <laughs> thinking that the movie, the Wait, Guy Ritchie movie, is going to be a success. Well, it is, isn't it? No, no, no. It's a financial failure. Financial? Who cares? People enjoyed it. Well, it was okay. It's the least of Guy Ritchie's stuff, but you know... That's still saying something. Yeah, because he's a fun director. He hasn't quite gotten to the point where like, oh, remember his old stuff? Yes. You know, The Man from Uncle. I haven't seen it yet. I'm going to. But from what I understood, you can sit and enjoy it, basically. Yeah, it's, it's an enjoyable it's all, spy It's movie. an all-surface movie. There's yeah. absolutely no depth to it. Well, The Man from Uncle, right? Yeah. It wasn't exactly Alan Moore at the height. So they're doing the Batman 66 version, <laughs> meeting the, apparently the original oh TV God. version. Please tell me that they meet the English Avengers after that. Ah, yes. Emma Steele. Well, Emma yeah, Steel just pops up in they've the middle. talked about it. Oh my god! It was in the news after Comic Con. Oh my god! Ben, it... Batman versus the Avengers. You know what? And they're like, not the Avengers you're thinking of. Good anyway, for it's, them. Re- it's written by Jeff Parker, yeah, who's the creative team on the current Batman sixty six, which is ending. and apparently the go to guy for all the old things. Yeah. Jeff Parker writes him Agent because of Atlas he, Batman because 66. he can do nostalgia without turning it simply into a remembrance fest. Mm-hmm. He writes it. Aiming to be fun for the new reader. Drawn and by he David gets Hahn. the spirit, I think. Yes. And now, Batman 66 is ending right now, which... Well, it can join the club, because DC is canceling the following series. Omega Men, which... People... Gone too soon, apparently. Is it gone too soon? Well, I haven't read it, but Me people neither. really like it. Well, too bad. Lobo. Not gone soon enough. Good riddance. Twilight Lobo can yes. go... Straight to hell. Justice League United, I don't even know what that is. It's the, it was the originally the Justice League of Canada. Pass. Gotham by Midnight, which we reviewed, and I don't mm-hmm. think either of us were surprised. When this announcement first came out, I thought it said Gotham Academy, and like, oh boy, there's gonna be some- Tumblr won't care about this There's a big one. storm coming. But no, Gotham by Midnight, nobody cares, and Doomed, well, the title gave it away, didn't it? Yeah. And now also Batman 66. Too bad for these books. Uh, Robin? It does, before we get to, oh, we need to talk about Robin, but before we get to that, I do want to connect this to something that you said before. When we were talking about Marvel failing at launching books and then bringing in new books to succeed them, I think this is a major difference in terms of the two companies' policies. Because what I've noticed is that It is absolutely true. When Marvel failed to launch a book, the book that will replace it in the schedule tends to be along the same lines. Not to say that these are all interchangeable. So She-Hulk got canceled. Now Charles Soleil is doing a a different kind of Daredevil. It feels like they are constantly trying to address some kind of need. They seem to try the same strategies with different characters and hoping that something will fit. DC, by contrast, when you look at these cancellations, right, it's not immediately apparent that they have anything along the same lines to replace it. It just seems like this thing failed. We're not going to do it anymore. Well, some of these were very quick cancellations. Again, the Omega Man, eight issues in. Mm-hmm. But Batman 66 had a good long run. Uh, even uh, Sensation Comics featuring Wonder Woman, two right. or three years running, which is not in the current market. That's not bad. You can't say they didn't give it a shot. It's not bad, but then the question is, and what are like they replacing it with? Well, they don't have to... Re- you don't They have do. To- you know, we're talking about Wonder Woman failing as a book. Meredith Finch is doing a horrible job right now. 
She is. The Finches are absolutely destroying Wonder Woman. Well, Sensation Comics also fails, and that has a lot of talent beyond it. Right. So, if that's not the key to doing a good Wonder Woman book, is DC going to try again? Or are they just going to say, no? Well, DC has to do a Wonder Woman book at least three times a year. Otherwise, they lose the license. And the Finch title isn't But like something like Omega Man. Or, you know, if Grayson were canceled. Their thinking would not be, let's find another angle to do the same thing. I, I prefer that. No, because then you end up... You need to do something else. It's the meat and potatoes thing. That's how no. That's how you end up no, losing... No, meat and potato is the same thing. It's, I hope it's something else. Cream corn. Let's uh, talk about Robin. Speaking of things that don't need to happen and that we don't need... We have need. to talk about Robin. We I do. just imagined that We have movie, to talk about Kevin. William Shriver with, you know, Batman as a stern, as the ignoring father and Robin is the Batman psychopath. opens the door and he sees Robin masturbating furiously and glaring at him in the shower. And, well, this thing happened in the movie. It's still PG-13. It's okay. And then... My childhood. Your childhood? You were watching We Need to Talk About Kevin? Oh, Robin. Oh, Robin. Okay. Well, listen. Okay, okay. I don't want to get into that. Robin Warren. Like, Frederick Wortham just perked up in whatever corner of hell he's sitting in. Like, hmm, what? Robin Warren, number one, written yes. by Tom King, uh, drawn by Kari Randall. Oh, God. This is a Robin War crossover. Is running through Grayson, Detective Comics, We Are Robin, Robin, Son of Batman, Gotham Academy, Red Hood and Arsenal, and Teen Titans. Okay. Clearly, no lessons have been learned. No, I don't think it's a bad idea overall because obviously the We Are Robin book have been going to this direction because when you have a team of minority poor kids taking up the name, it's obvious that Damian Wayne, the most snobbish, rich, full of himself character, would be up against them at a certain point. Sure. I just think it's a Why Gotham Academy? Why Grayson? It's the Outsider Batman book. Not Outsiders. uh, From the non-mainstream Batman books. But I think it's a bit early because We Are Robin has barely been running for half a year. I think you need... Give it a year. Give it a time to set its tone before throwing it head deep into the crossover. No, crossover. They must cross over with all of the books. Well, I, I'm not following the sales. Maybe if the sales are down, they need to do something to save them. Why a crossover event with all these different books, though? I mean, We Are Robin, its tone is fundamentally incompatible with, say, Grayson, right? Grayson is like fun, sexy, super spy times. And We Are Robin is not that. If you try to thread a plot through these books... Granted, Tom King is writing Robin Wars, so presumably there's some flexibility oh, there I'm, in terms of his own... I'm sorry, I don't think there's such a thing as completely incompatible. I think it could work if the writer is good enough. Have you read uh, Bad Girl Annual, the recent one? I think it was number two or three. No, although was, now that you mention it, that endgame thing, or Futures End, no, no, or whatever no, but before, it was called, no, it's exactly the same that, thing. Now, Bad Girl, the recent Bad Girl Annual was 48 pages of Bad Girl encountering in order. The Grayson team, spoiler... Batwoman and then the Gotham Academy kids. Batwoman's still around? Yes. Oh, good for her. And all of these things supposedly are incompatible, especially with, you know, Batgirl, but they made it work as a fun, you know, team-up book. And why not? Would you read the crossover? I'll give it a shot. Okay, that's fair. I'm going to give it a shot. Frank, oh, I have a headache. I have a headache, but I have to say it anyway. Catwoman has a new writer. Mm -hmm. It's Frank Thierry. I guess after Halle Berry, they're just like to hell with it. Previous writer Genevieve Valenti was mildly controversial because she retconned Catwoman as being bisexual. I don't think anybody paid too much attention to it. I didn't know about it. So 
It's oh, least, it's news to you. Yes. <laughs> Whoops! It's not spoilers. News. It's, it's uh, well, I don't care. Yeah, exactly. It's I, New Fifty Two Catwoman. I, I just whatever. But I Frank Thierry, Darwin Cook. So Frank Thierry is writing Black Knight at Marvel, and now he's writing Catwoman. Frank, I don't. Again, I, I, I said it last time. I don't lost. think Frank Thierry is bad. I he's just, not bad. He's aggressively mediocre, and we don't need him anymore. We are past him. Okay, now why Frank Thierry? Now, now crossovering from this. Good news, because we've mentioned Batman, we mentioned Catwoman, and a guy who did good runs on both ah, is Ed yes. Baker. And mm. now, years after the fact... Way to rub salt into the wound. Yeah, years after the fact, <laughs> DC is finally starting to reprint uh, Ed Baker's Batman run. 288 pages, $20, mm. that's a good deal for money. Collecting yeah. uh, Batman 582 through 586... 591 through 594, and for reasons which are unexplained, and I don't want to know, and I don't need to know, Batman, our world's at war, number one. Because Our world's at war? Are you kidding me? We have to suffer a bit, because if it's too perfect, we'll go blind. Our, no, 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 no. Tell me, what is our world's at war? Remind me again. It's the giant DC crossover, big alien from the sky come in, and everybody fights in the end. I'm already done. I'm leaving. Goodbye. Goodbye. Okay. So, I don't know why this particular combination of issues... Well, but it's his, he wrote them. These are the first issues he wrote on Batman. Right, but if you were putting Our Worlds at War number one in... Well, it's a Batman Our Worlds at War. It's his crossover issue. Oh, so it wasn't part of the core story. No, no, no. Okay. Uh, I mean, I, I think I missed Our World at War as it was coming out, so... You haven't missed a thing. Whoever said, here's some Brubaker, no thank you. Right? Okay. Uh, Vertigo launches. Oh, yeah. They're still doing that. Now, I want to start with something that really gave me mixed feelings. Mm -hmm. And maybe you can help me sort through them, because I'm not sure what to think about it. Lucifer. Written by Holly Black. Mm -hmm. Art by Lee Garbett. Mm -hmm. Now, I have read every bit of information online that I could find regarding this book. And I still can't tell you, is this a reboot of Mike Carey's epic Sandman spinoff series, Lucifer? Is it a remake? Is it a continuation? I have no idea. I, Holly Black, I know her by reputation. I haven't had the opportunity I to read her work yet. I think I tried to read the Spider-Wick Chronicles and I didn't like it, but it's young adult fantasy. It's not my thing. She's good, but by by yeah. reputation. Again, I don't know... Lee Garbett is a good artist. Yes, the story concerns Lucifer and Gabriel investigating the murder of God. The solicitation text does acknowledge that he opened the nightclub. I don't know what this is. You remember when they announced the TV show is a prequel to the comic and what happened before the Mike Carey run started? Which, too bad they didn't read Sandman because Neil Gaiman had the prequel to the story <laughs> right there. Where was Lucifer before yeah, that? In try, hell. If you try to adapt the Neil Gaiman story, he will, no. he will no. kit murder kill you in your sleep. Well, listen, they're doing a Sandman movie with Jorson, the Jorson, well, blah, with, blah, his blah, with his blessing. You do not. Why? I don't understand. Okay, we're not gonna get into the Sandman no. movie, but I do want to go back to this issue. I don't know how to take it. Like, I do not know how to process Mostly because, you know what it seems like from the plot description? It seems like another uh, Neil Gaiman project. It's well, Murder Mysteries. Detectives? No, Murder Mysteries. Well, Murder the Mysteries wasn't about the murder about... of God. It was about the murder of an angel. Well, it was mu murder in heaven and Lucifer and Gabriel investigate. That was yeah. the plot of Murder Mysteries. All right. That's the plot. They, they didn't even notice. We want to adapt this Neil Gaiman thing. We right. adapted a completely different Neil Gaiman Not thing. Not only that, mistake. but issue 50 of Lucifer, the um, Lilith, 
It was yes. the one with P. Craig Russell uh, illustrating. That was also like there was a murder in heaven and an angel was killed. And, and who illustrated the comic book version of Murder Mysteries? P. Craig Russell. That's it. There you go. It's all good. That's it. Uh, so I don't... I'm not like, sure. I'm really... Because Lucifer was one, one of Vertigo's great success stories. And it was the the one good Sandman spin-off. And they tried dozens of them and that was... I don't know the, if I'd go that far. The only good Sandman? No, not, not the only, but the one that people remember, you know. Well, it was the only one that ran for like 75 issues. You know, the Dreaming went for 60, but the, I don't nobody, think that, that was... Yeah, nobody really remembered The Dreaming. Uh, yeah. they, Bill Willingham did some, you know, fun ones. He did Fashionly Witch for Hire, right. Marv Pumpkin. But these the, were all miniseries. Yeah, not well regarded or well remembered as Lucifer. No, Lucifer really did... It stood on its own. It wasn't just... Exactly. By, its, by the midpoint, it wasn't just a sentence. Spin off. And it this was is part of the problem that it also has a closed ending. Yeah. There was nothing in Carrie's run that would make you think, wouldn't it be great if somebody else followed up about... And I feel like Holly Black could do interesting things here, but I really wish it weren't if Neil Gaiman's, Mike, Mike Carrie's, Holly you know, like I, I don't, just, I don't see that do, continuity. Yeah, just do a new series. Lucifer like, is public is, domain. Is Mazikin going to turn up here? Like, wh- wh- how does it even work? Nobody seems to know because all of the discussions with Holly Black, they've been, you know, oh, I love my Dear Carrie's DC, run. Satan is public domain. It's okay. It's too similar to Carrie's setup, right? The solicitation yeah. specifically mentions he has this relationship with Gabriel. They're estranged brothers, and the whole thing with God not being present in the universe is something from Gaiman's mythology, right? That he's not. An active force, and the nightclub and the piano playing, and it's like yeah, distance yourself. Why? why? Yeah, why invite the comparison? Because you know the setup is unique, but it's not that unique. There was a manga series uh, that was running alongside Lucifer, which was about Satan in Earth investigating crimes, <laughs> which is also yeah the because... topic of the Fox show. <laughs> okay. Uh, speaking of the Vertigo Resurrection, yes, New Romancer by Peter Milligan and art by Brett Person. Did you get the gag in the title? Read no. it quickly. New Romancer. New Romancer. Oh, okay. Gibson is just like, are you kidding me right now? Uh, fired from a cushy job in Silicon Valley, Lexi becomes a coder for New Romancer, an internet dating app that's seen better days. To create fake profiles, she plunders characteristics from history's most notorious lover. Using little-known writings by Edda Lovelace, the world's first computer programmer, Lexi pushes the boundaries of coding and accidentally unleashes upon the world history's greatest lover, Lord Byron. <laughs> so it's like the opposite of all those um, manga series in which a guy gets the perfect girlfriend and she's like a computer program. Weird or, science? No, no. You know, the odd, odd manga thing where she's like an alien computer ghost monster right. goddess. I would there's, have said, there's dozens of them. It's weird science, except she ends up with Lord Byron. Yeah, I'm it's from like, the opposite sex. Do you remember how Byron. in Age of Ultron, Ultron escapes into the internet? Now imagine if you were Lord Byron. <laughs> this seems no. really funny. It's no, a 12-part miniseries. Because most people would just use Lord Byron as a general famous lover poet. Milligan has done the research. Milligan knows the real Byron, so... I mean, listen, I think after you try to make Princess Diana an X-Man... It's sort of like, well... That didn't work. That didn't work out for him, well, but... It's... But Byron isn't... Yeah. <laughs> public dom- well, Byron the is... Lady Di was public domain, but yeah. not you didn't want to deal with them at the time. Well, no, at the time it was because Marvel was being really gross about the marketing. But I think, like, generally speaking, if he had done Princess Di, it would have been funnier. And this seems... Because Milligan can do humor. He can yeah. be funny when he wants to be. 
So this could really work out well. I'm really looking forward to it. The Sheriff of Babylon, number one, written by Tom King, mm-hmm. art by Mitch Gretz, which everybody likes him. I just, I can't get into him. Always seem to be like the second-rate knockoff of Alex Milav for some reason. That makes a lot of sense now that you mention it. Mm. There's a lot of common ground there. Uh, 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 this is an 80-issue mini. Uh, he did the Black Hood for Archer recently, which I just eh. didn't like. Anyway, it's a uh, topical... Well, not topical because it's 2003. It's a uh, political drama taking place in Iraq in 2003. A Florida police officer turned military contractor Chris Henry is tasked with training the new Iraqi police force. I'm already asleep. No, no, no. See, I'm interesting simply because it's amongst all the supernatural, super drama, science fiction stuff. It appears to be uh, mostly down-to-the-dirt, realistic yeah. take. That's exactly the thing that I'm not interested in. Oh, like, I like Tom King. You're right about mm-hmm. that. But it's sort of, you know, just reading the descriptions, like, oh, God, not again, I'm, you know? I'm, it's, it's a fertile ground because, you know, the subject is interesting, Terrible and interesting. I guess. The question is, can he, can he make it work? Anything else? Not from DC. Well, okay, so I just mentioned one thing from the odd, odd collection department. Now, they're reprinting Grant Morrison stuff in Deluxe Edition, which is fine. Makes sense. And for some reason, they've combined Kill Your Boyfriend with... Vima Narama? Yes. The Indian, oh boy. The Indian Kirby superhero stuff. Mm-mm. Drawn nope. by Phil Bond. So what's the order here? Do you start with Vima Narama and then you're like, uh, I have no idea what happened, and then Kill Your Boyfriend, first page. Um, See, I, and I really like Vima Narama, I just don't like Kill Your Boyfriend. I like Kill Your Boyfriend, and I hate <laughs> yeah. Vima Narama. That's we our need to like, buy this book and cut it in half. Our different, yeah, <laughs> it's our different approaches to Grant Morrison. Yeah, I, I totally get it, too, because Vima Narama is Morrison being abstract and conceptual and not really thinking through any of the weirdness. And Kill Your Boyfriend... It's the second weirdest thing you've done after Sea Guy. Well, at the time. The area of 2000. Oh, at yeah. that point, right. Well, this no, is, because he had done... before Nameless. He had done Doom Patrol at that time. No, and Doom, Doom Patrol Doom had Patrol gone... Doom Patrol made some... sense in its own weird terms. Sea Guy didn't... E- no, something like Sea Guy didn't even try to explain its own terms. Right. Doom Patrol was all about, you know, power of imagination and At dreams. At first, and afterwards, it just started, like, you would see, like, giant eyeballs floating in the middle of space for no reason. Yeah, or, like, they, the Brotherhood of Dada. They actually explained why they... Okay. I don't know. In any event, but Kill Your Boyfriend is a much more human story. And yes. like Joe the Barbarian, those are the stories of Morrison's that I tend to gravitate towards more. See, I, and I didn't really like Joe the Barbarian. <sighs> <laughs> You heartless monster. Yes, we had the different, yeah, the, no, the it, different faces of Morrison. Exactly. It's, he really does vacillate between emotionally comprehensible stuff and the stuff that's just like cosmic Make- weirdness and nothing makes any sense and dreams and fish and, and dreams of fish and fish dreams. And I, I don't know Which what to I do with that you. stuff. Yeah. Okay. okay. Let's Image. move on to Image. We've got another take on the Old West. It's Black Jack Ketchum. This is a four-part miniseries by Brian Shermer and Claudia Balboni. Did I miss the comeback of the Western? Was I asleep when it happened? Is, is Clint there, Eastwood going to show up all of a sudden? A well, there's this, and now there's Kingsway West with Greg Pak. Well, wow, that's like, two things isn't the comeback. Two miniseries within a month of each other by separate writers in different companies. I'm, I don't know, Jonah Hex is coming back? I don't know what's going to happen with it. I don't know. I'm not going to talk about number one. I'm going to talk about number 17. Okay. The Weekend and the Divine number 17 brings in, apart from Jamie McKelvey on art, 
Brendan Graham to help them draw ah. that issue. And I've stopped reading uh, The Wicked and the Divine, but if Brendan Graham is joining in, I'm going to have to bounce back on that. Because this I'll is read... a guest spot, or he's yeah, coming yeah. back? No, no, guest spot. Okay. Um, and they, they apparently huh. they do really weird things, because issue 14 is all based on used art. They're reusing old panels intentionally. They're not trying to hide it. They're okay. like, this, they're all remi- it, the remix. It's issue. the Wicked and the Divine. That's that's what they're doing. This and is like see, art. I, I appreciate the Wicked and the Divine intellectually for what it's trying to say and do without falling in love with it. Mm. So I think I'm going to try and jump back in again. Fair and enough. if nothing else, it's interesting because Image Comics, you know, usually when you have your creative team, it's there forever. You don't bring in... Replacements are not imposed upon you, but yeah. I don't think there's any restriction against saying, you know, hey, come on and join yeah, us. Yeah, but can you mention a lot of guest stars from the last five years? Not off the top of my head, but yeah. only because most of the series that I'm reading are too new to have required okay. guest stars. Uh, the Fade Out concludes. This is Ed Brubaker's series with Sean Ryan. Just um, 12 issues, right? So 12 short, issues in short the end. Short by Brubaker standards. I tuned out at some point because uh, I, I just didn't find it as interesting as Velvet or Fatal. I, I have a lot of collecting and catching up to do on Ed Brubaker okay. in general, so that's left in line. However, I will say this. Maybe this means we have a new Brubaker book coming up. That could happen. Sure. Okay, from the odd, uh, from the other still, something called Bloodstain Volume 1. It's an original graphic novel written and drawn by Linda Sedgik. Any relation to Stefan? I have no idea. If, if it is a coincidence, it's a weird coincidence. It's not a common name. I never heard of a different subject up until now. Bloodstain. Uh, a med science at its finest. Chemistry major Elliot Torres has been unable to keep steady job and eventually accept one by rumor med scientist Dr. Vladstein. And so she is Seven Cedric's wife. Comedy med science. Okay. I like comedy Doable. med Doable. This is an OGN. Yes. Okay. 15 bucks, which is fine for an OGN. I guess. The Private Eye, this is the Cloudburst Edition hardcover, story by Brian K. Vaughn, art by Marcos Martin, and Munza Vicente. It's 50 bucks, though. It's 50 bucks for 304 pages. And unlike what we said originally, this is printed in the original format. Long. Uh, uh. Why? A hardcover printed vertically? Why not? Because you'd have to hold the book. 300. It works. It exists. Does it? It happened before. Well, it's not, it's not it happened once. Let's not say no. It there was also that uh, thing from Oni, Toyland Wars by Robert Hurst. I don't know nothing about that. Which it, I haven't read it, but it, I've seen these things. They're not popular, but they exist. It's not something new and amazing hmm. to have a long form comic. You know. Well, look, the Private Eye is, is good, a must read, but. If you have the capacity and the ability to read digitally, because not everyone can. Some people need to have the print comics. If that's your situation, go and get the hardcover. The digital version is cheaper. So <laughs> yeah, it's substantially cheaper. You it, can it, get it from Panel Syndicate. First of all, it gives the creators more money if you buy it directly from them. Well, we don't know right now how much... Uh... If they sign the deal, they get a good chunk of it. Yeah, but I'm assuming there's a percentage involved. Yeah, well, they expect the expe- diamond and and all that. I think when you're Brian K. Vaughn, you can dictate terms. You can dictate no. terms with image. image. Yeah. So I imagine Brian K. Vaughn walking into Eric Stevenson's office. I will allow you to print my webcomic, good sir. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! But for every copy of the hardcover sold, you must deliver unto me a human child. 
That went really dark and really creepy really quickly. If you have ultimate power, you know, use it. <laughs> my advice... Also, my okay. version of Brian K. Vaughan is stuffy English dude for some reason. I don't why? know why. He's not British. He's Canadian. Yeah. Not even close <laughs> in any event. So, if you... You have your queen and the money. If you're the type of person who cannot read digitally for whatever reason, you're not comfortable with it, whatever, this is the version that you have. If you can read comics on an iPad, on a laptop, whatever, go to panelsyndicate.com and just purchase the two trades, you're much better off. Okay. One other item from Image, mm-hmm. this is Symmetry Number 1 by Matt Hawkins mm-hmm. and Raphael Ienko. The description reads like Equilibrium. It's like yes, it does. A utopian society that has suppressed individuality, creativity, and emotion. Or The Giver, or just about... Or- uh, what's the movie about everybody being split across society, across personality lines? That's The Giver. No, no, no uh, the new Divergent. one. Shalane Whitley. Whitley. Divergence. Divergent. Divergence. Divergence. Oh, no, Convergence. No. Divergence. I don't want to talk about it. The utopia is actually dystopia, wouldn't you know? Follow my process of discovery here. So what I did first when I heard about this was, you know, it's like, uh, equilibrium. Then I looked up Matt Hawkins' credits mm-hmm. as a writer. He has spent most of his career writing the kind of top cow books which, on the off chance that you were reading them, you would never admit to it. Like, Evangeline, or... No, but recently he Witchblade, did, or, or no, whatever. No, recently he did some stuff which was better received. He did Think Tank, and he did... <laughs> not, Think Tank wasn't that well received. No, no, better received than <laughs> Cyber. Well, Force. because, you know, it didn't have on the cover a lady and, who uh, was wearing like, a thong five. and a... Yeah, yeah, he did the five, which is Two band-aids and a potato chip. He recently did the thought tithe, which is oh, a crime. Ooh, that was terrible. It was terrible. It I read the it, first it issue of that. It was medium. So, and then I find out, so, having established his mediocrity as a writer, I then find out he's the president of Top Cow, which puts him on the same level as Todd McFarlane. So, would you read a Todd McFarlane book? Because I know I wouldn't. He's the president of Top Cow? He's the president of Top Cow. When and how? Which, first of all, explains how he's been writing all of these comics. He has like 300 comics. I thought he was the president of Top Cow. Uh, no, he, Matt Hawkins... Okay, no, I believe you, it's just, I'm surprised. So am I. Well, first of all, I'll never Google him, because it comes up with, like, an American rugby player who is not, I don't even know, maybe he's publisher, whatever. Well, then he's responsible for Death Vigil. Uh, He didn't write it. He didn't write it. But he he birthed it. But it's like, you remember when Todd McFarlane was writing Spider-Man? Yes. Okay. Well, I don't remember it. I know of it because... You remember when Joe Casada was writing Daredevil Father? Yes. Mm-hmm. Or Nix? The people in power should just... You remember when Bill Jameis was writing comics? I called it yesterday. Uh, <laughs> Do First, we want to talk okay, about that? I just I need to mention and, it quickly. Okay, intermission. <laughs> intermission. Yes. Double Take Comics, the Bill Jameis publishing, <laughs> oh have God. uploaded all of their number ones for free to Comixology. You can, at the time of recording, download them all for free. And I've read them, and this is some outsider art weird... You get what you paid for. <laughs> Who heard Bill Jemis from the author of Marvel? Bill Jemis writing 14 series concurrently. From the mind that brought you AOL comics. Marvel. Ted Turner was in that comic at some point. I don't know. Okay. Oh, so Dark that Horse. that happened, but we... <laughs> Dark Horse. Dark Horse. Uh, Greg Rucka is gonna write Dragon Age. Uh, Dragon Age, yes. Mage Killer number one of five, 
with art by Carmen Carano. I have never played Dragon Age, as I far as I know. Have. Universe-wise, it's like a generic, Epic. generic fantasy fiction. Nothing generic about it. Okay, I'll take so, your word for it. So Dragon Age is so far it's a trilogy, and the main writer has left, so its future is up in the air. But it is a trilogy of absolutely stunning fantasy games, just subversive in all the right points, clever, intelligent amazing cast of characters. Now that said, this is not the first time that Dark Horse has been writing Dragon Age, but the material that they've been putting out has not been up to the game standards yeah, by but a this long Greg, shot. But this is Greg Rocca. Exactly. It's an interesting fit because first of all, he's writing original characters. The two protagonists of Mage Killer are not from the games. Are they by chance called Mary and Sue? No. Okay. Uh, well, for Greg Rocca doesn't usually some of his characters are a bit... They skirt the edge, but I yeah. don't think he's ever, like, dived headfirst into no, the no, most right, tropes. No, no, right, I'm sorry, I take it. But, um, no. but in any I event... I did it for the sake of a bad joke. This might be the first Dragon Age comic book from Dark Horse that I'll be reading. Because the other ones I started reading, I was just like, this is crap. None of it's consistent with the games, and, like, you know, there are levels to canonicity. Right. Mm. The games are primary canon. We'll get into canon much more into detail in one of our reviews coming up. Uh, one other point of interest from Dark Horse. Yes. Mystery Girl number one by Paul Tobin and Alberto Albuquerque. Is that supposed to read Raphael? No, no. Alberto Albuquerque. Okay. I think if Raphael Albuquerque did something we'd know. Is he moonlighting he as another person named Alberto? What's, there could be two Albuquerques. Could there? Yes. Working for Dark Horse at the yeah. same time? Are you thinking he's his wife? That could happen. I don't know. Nepot- Gay marriage is legal now. Nepotism it, in comic. It could happen. It's a problem. If your name is Alberto Albuquerque, you wouldn't change it because that's a great name. It is. You have the epic last name. You have the AA. Mm-hmm. In your... It's great. And, that's true. Okay. So, so this is by the fact that the solicitation text calls it out. Just goes to show you mm. they know who they're marketing this to. Paul Tobin, who is the co-creator of Bandit, the Beloved. Tells a story of a girl who knows the answer to any question except what has happened to the last 10 years of her life. I think this is a miniseries? Yeah, it says a miniseries. In this it's section. a miniseries. Now, there Sold. was a TV show like this. Was there? John Doe. Which was about... It's one of those generic crime shows. It was about a guy waking up, not knowing anything about his life, but knowing the answer to every question people asking him. I have no idea what you're yeah, talking see, about. It's so unknown that I, I don't think it's a rip-off. I just think... <laughs> Nobody but me remembers It's our it. come round at last. Yes. Okay. I really like Paul Tobin when he worked with Colin Coover. On his own, he's good, but not mm. as good. His collaborations with Coover are always the best. Bandette was not Tobin's first book. And before that, he was writing all of these things that were not very good. And no, no, no. Not I particularly attention I, I think they were good. He he did great work on Marvel's young adult titles. His the oh, Marvel Adventure Spider-Man. Marvel Next. The regular Marvel characters just aimed for kids. Marvel oh, Adventures. Marvel Adventures. Okay. He had this great mm. issue. The Digests. Yes, yes. He had okay. this great issue of Marvel Adventures, the Avengers, where Modoc turns the, all the Avengers into Modocs. Of course he does. And they, ha- and they say, we have to stop you from taking over the world so that we can take over the world. <laughs> and all of them. Okay. And they, te- and they go up against the leader and they mock him for his tiny head. <laughs> like, how oh. can you, how can you think you can take over the That's world with a, with a head as tiny as yours? Yes. That is really cute. Yes, Wasp, his head is tiny, pathetically small. We do not even need to beat him. He just needs to be left alone with his tiny, tiny head. Oh and the leader begins to cry. So first of all, I'm looking up that story. <laughs> Second of all, I think Bandat has bought Tobin 
granted that Coover brings out a lot of good in him, but I think yeah. Bandit may have bought him more leeway to go back. So I'm definitely checking this out. Okay. Anything else? Well, there are two four-issue miniseries coming from Boom. Well, you should mention Snowblind because you like Only Masters, right? Well, Snowblind, it's a four-part noir miniseries by Ollie Masters, the writer of Kitchen. Kitchen was okay, but really went off the rails at the end. Aha. Uh-huh. So, I don't know. I don't know why I do aha, I just do aha. And it just didn't work wait, out. Wait, and the, the other one... is Tyler Jenkins. Yeah? Peter Panzerfaust has yet to end. Oh, god damn it. <laughs> Started the new project. Damn it. Eric Stevenson, wherever you are, finish Peter Pan... You had two issues left. This is not fair. Jenkins, get back to work. Okay. The other miniseries is Venus by Rick Lovard and Huang Danlan about Americans trying to colonize the planet of Venus after China grabs Mars. I don't know any of these uh, writers, any of these creators. I don't know what's going on over there. It seems like the sort of thing where I would be willing to check out the first issue, which in a four-issue miniseries tends to run the risk of what we have already seen with quite a few boom miniseries, which is where they stop in the wrong place. But we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Okay, shall we... Move on to the reviews because well, let's move on to the reviews. Talking up, you're gonna have to edit this thing. It'll be fine. I'm not afraid. Shall we start with Tokyo Ghost? Let's, let's start get with Tokyo. Let's Ghost. get this out of the way. Let's get the crap out of the way first. Oh, <laughs> Spoiler. Okay. Well, not really because <laughs> okay. okay, Tokyo Ghost number one, written mm-hmm. by Rick Remender, art by Sean Murphy, with coloring by Matt Hollingsworth. Yes, and the plot is we're in the future. Uh, not sure if it's the far or the semi near. It's one of those. Semi-cyberpunkish futures. Yeah. And we have uh, Lee Dent and Debbie Decay, which are... They're not cops. They're constables. Of course they are. Which is the free and the least police. It's like they're, yeah. hired, they're hired to keep the order by someone who's sort not of the like government. Sort of hunters, but not... Like with a more yeah. regular yeah. relationship. I guess there's some corporate boss. They've yeah. mentioned the name, but we're not sure what the relation... Anyway, they're cops, and on this first issue... They on the hunt for a dangerous criminal, a super nerd, who has the power to enter into computer chips and control machinery, but because it's the future, just about everybody has machinery in their head, so that means he can control not just computers and automated guns and motorcycles, he can control people. Right. The only one not under threat is Debbie DK herself, because she's a straight-edge freak. And Led Dent, he's her partner, he's the muscle of the team, and he's also supposedly her boyfriend, except... He's so distorted by all the augmentation and technology it took in that she doesn't really exist for him. She's sort like of a, a Jekyll and Hyde thing with yeah. him. Yeah. So as a setup, it's not super original. It's Like I said, it's basically cyberpunk 20 years too late, but it's not bad. But the issue just doesn't work for me. Uh, you would think that it would work for me because A, it's an all-chase issue. I like stuff that's basically all thrills, no fills. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to do just straight-up action, I'll buy it in Finch. And, it and the art's good. Yeah, because... <laughs> you know, that much is true. It, it has to be good, Sean mm-hmm. Murphy. Yeah, okay. And I'm not a huge fan of Freak Remender, but usually I, I enjoy his romps. You know, he doesn't do anything that leaves a mark to me, but mm. he does stuff that I really like. For me, Frankencastle is a great Punisher story, because it has Frank Castle as a monster riding atop of a dragon shooting zombies with machine guns. Sure, but I wonder if part of the reason that works so well is because you know that it is mm-hmm. so against the grain for Frank Castle in general. Yeah. And if you were to compare this to something more like Fear Agent or Black Science, would that still... Yeah, I don't, I'm not into Low or Black Science, which are the two other series that he does right now. Yeah. Okay, so what are the problems here? I think the first is the narration. 
It's constant narration, and he tells us, A, he tells us nothing interesting. It's completely unoriginal. And she keeps repeating, you know, oh, the machine has corrupted him, and then two pages later, the machine, it has, him it is corrupted. Corrupted him is by the machine of the gods machine. Oh, boy. Not only that, let me, I'm going to go out on a limb here, because I can swear that I have seen this exact opening sequence play out in a Remender book before, where it starts by zooming in on, like, a supposed nobody, and then the real protagonist drives by and grabs them. I know that I've seen that in a Remender book before. I'm not sure. Might have been the start of Black Science. That's how it's, where it's... No, no, no. There was it not. starts with the end and then flashes back, and then there's... No, no, Black these... Science, it's, it's something else. It starts with them on the turtle, right? Yeah. But at the okay. end of it, I don't okay. know. The, the, I don't you know. know. You know, fake out I, openings are not unusual. But no, but, but reading this, it just felt so familiar, so cliche, so overdone. Yeah, now, uh, Reminder has always been a type of uh, writer to reuse existing formula. Mm. He writes, a lot of what he writes is 80s nostalgia, you know. Uh, Fear Agent is his type of movie that he liked, played out in space. Right. Deadly Class is an 80s romp. And this is... Again, it's 80s cyberpunk, but re- we're not in the 80s anymore. All of the books that you've mentioned, lining them up, mm-hmm. Tokyo mm-hmm. Ghost, Low, Black, Black Science, Science, and Deadly Class. Class. Um, take all of these together, and I realize now for the first time that I have the same problem with each and every one of them. I don't care about these characters at all. Yeah. I read the first trade of Deadly Class, not the first issue, the first trade. I got to the end, and it's like, I understand what you're doing here on a plot level, I cannot bring myself to turn the page anymore because you're so boring. And These characters are so unremarkable. And again, for me, that's usually less of a problem if the action is good enough. I like process work. I like work that is all mood. But this is it's odd to say about an issue that is a giant chase scene with a crazy cyborg on a huge motorcycle. This isn't out there enough. I keep on thinking, what if Jason Aaron was writing this? We would have much more invention. Yeah. We would have much more far out there action scenes. This is just... And you would care about the fate of the people yeah. you are trying to introduce. Because what's the, the point about Debbie is that she... What is she? What does she have aside from her love to the big muscly guy who, by his own nature, can't notice her or anything else? That's about and it. And he says in the afterword that it's a doomed love story, which is, as a concept... Fine. But would you have gotten that from the issue without the afterword? I got it because she keeps saying it, but she keeps on saying it without it yeah. actually happening. It's show, don't tell. It's the most yeah. shallow, superficial attempt at characterization, where the characters will constantly tell you that these things are happening, but you don't see it being expressed in the artwork. Also, and this isn't a fault of the art. It's not like yeah. the art's fault. It's just that the script is not telling you you know, show this on her face. No, we need to be told constantly about like, oh, he's so full of this and he's doing this. And it's like, well, what are you, what are you narrating all of this for? For what? It's a problem. It really is. And it's not like most Remender work. It's not horrible, but it's, no, I, I don't get the, it's consistent. It's consistently mediocre. He, he is consistent in the bad way, which is that the faults that I find here, like I said, putting also, it in I my head... Also, speaking of 80s nostalgia, yeah. the bad guy is arcade. Of course he is. The bad guy is it's arcade from the X-Men. Of course. You're All not- he needs is the bow tie and like the red hair. That's, that's I really I think he has it. a bow tie for one panel. That'll do it. I yeah, this was just completely uh, yeah, passable. Ignore, and- it's, a, it's a waste of the artist's hands as far as I'm concerned. It's yeah. an ongoing... 
Also, they are not in Tokyo. Poor Sean Murphy. They are not in Tokyo, and nobody does anything. <laughs> with, and nobody's a ghost because nobody's hiding anything. Nobody's threatening anything. They're, Maybe the villain a, is the ghost. No, they're overt. As, it's what ghost in the shell. No, no, this is the most overt oh, thing. No. Anything. What if it really were Ghost in the Shell? Oh, that's not a comparison you want to invite no, upon yourself. I, I don't. Not for this comic. Not Rick Remender. Maybe no. another writer, maybe somebody with a little more talent, but not you. Uh, speaking of our writers with more talent, shall we do Star Wars? Let's do Star Wars. And You'll introduce this one? I'll introduce this one because it does sort of lead me into a larger topic. We briefly touched upon this when we reviewed Kanan a few months back, but I've educated myself a bit more since then. I marathoned the Clone Wars series, I marathoned Rebels, I read a couple of the Expanded Universe books. Now, after we recorded last episode, we were sort of talking about, generally speaking, Expanded Universes, right? Like the concept of Expanded Universes, and you didn't care for it. You said at the time that Star Wars, the film trilogy, tells a specific story, yes. right? And that story has a set ending, and you don't really need to know yeah, more. Yeah, I, I don't I don't have a problem with it existing, I don't have a problem with people liking it. I've read some Star Wars comics from friends, and the only one I liked was the one called uh, Tug and Bink Are Dead, which was yeah. the Rosencrantz and Gilderstern of mm-hmm. the Star Wars universe. The two nobodies keep entangling in the main events without nobody notice. Yeah. And everything else was just uh, fine, I guess. And it is because of Tag and Bink and because of this issue that we're going to review now that I realized something. We were talking about, like, what what is the point of having an expanded universe, mm-hmm. right? It is to do things that the core narrative does not supply, right? To fill in certain needs. I mean, Tag and Bink is the sort of thing that the films couldn't do or didn't do or didn't have the skill to do, right? You don't really get to have the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern aspect Mm -hmm. in the original trilogy or god forbid you watch the prequel trilogy again you don't need that at all so here we are with journey to star wars colon shattered empire colon the force awakens number one (laughs) so many colons so few enema bags by greg rucka art by mako chiquetto yes and it occurred to me when i was reading this first of all this is the justification for the expanded universe in theory. What do I mean by that? We were talking about Greg Rucka as a writer, right? What's his favorite type of character? The tough woman. Yes. Right? The tough woman solo protagonist. Find me a tough woman solo protagonist in Star Wars. What do you have? The, the original series? Yeah. Princess Leia does not count. Yeah, and I guess... Queen Amidala? Well, no. She had no. a gun in the second movie. She also had well, um, PG-13. 20, I'm not going to talk about what else she had. 27 costumes. 27 costumes, none of which made any practical sense. They always had like this hair. Something was going on with their hair. And David Bowie was looking at her going, like, what and is going they, on they, No, no, no. They did the amazing test. Of and making, she died of, breaking, of no, heartbreak. No, no. They did the amazing work of making Natalie Portman look unattractive, which you need to work on that. <laughs> no, you, but you need to do a lot of work to make Natalie Portman appear unappealing. You, you could tell that by the end of the prequel trilogy, she was pissed off because she dies of a broken heart, right? She dies of a broken heart. She gives birth to two kids and she's like, well, I have nothing to live for. Like your children who are right there. No, I'm going to die now. Goodbye. The, the uh, actual series. So here's the explanation, right? Because Star Wars needs... What Greg Rucka brings. Normally on any other book, I'd be like, ugh, another 
tough female solo protagonist with a tortured past. Great. Haven't seen that in a while. Good job, Rucka. And in fact, when we were talking about Rucka in the November previews, when they announced Black Magic, our first reaction was, oh, good, he's doing another woman, you know, who's a cop, and she has Black Magic. Oh, good. Okay. But here... It's funny how it works out, because the first thing that he does in this issue, which is absolutely the right call, is that he pulls the focus away from the protagonists of the films. I think you only see Han Solo for like two or three pages here, and Luke turns up in the beginning. Anyway, the plot of this is, it starts at the final battle of... Uh, Return of the Jedi, yes. in which the Death Star is apparently fully operational and the Rebels didn't know, and the Rebel fleet has to hold up and survive up until the good guys do the big blowing up thing, and our protagonist is Green 4, Shera, who was one of the Rebel pilots, not one of the main ones. Not that you saw any women flying ships well, in the film. Well, in the, right? in the final film, there were like hundreds of ships there. No women. During the fight scene in the film, yeah, you have, like, guys. green leader, blue leader, all, all of these fighters exploding while you have their death scene. Not one woman. Yeah. She's just one of the pilots. You yeah. Know, she's not the admiral or the super captain or nothing, but she survives the fight. Mm-hmm. And she's very worried because, well, she was fighting up in the skies, up on the ground in the moon forest of Andor. Her boyfriend was part of the ground crew, and she hasn't heard anything from him yet. And then, you know, so the story basically focuses on Shara specifically, right? Like, this is her story in the context of the ending of Return of the Jedi and the implication of what would have logically happened next, right? So the Emperor is dead and Darth Vader is dead, but, you know... There are still empire There's forces. still an empire. Yeah. And, in fact, the, the conflict that the series sets up is that there are still Imperial troops on the moon. Now... I don't really understand why it's necessary for them to intervene. Just give them to the Ewoks and, you know, let the Ewoks have their fun. Because they did win... Yeah, the, the US <laughs> they did crush the Empire yeah. completely. So I don't know why they're worried about that, but I guess they feel like we can't just leave those poor human beings, those poor stormtroopers, to the mercies of the Ewoks. That would be wrong. We're the heroes of the story. So I want to sort of zoom out here because the appeal of this issue is almost entirely contextual. The only reason it works as well as it does is because Rucka is using his usual talents to add something that Star Wars desperately needed. Like, Shara's relationship with her husband is genuinely touching. It sort of has this echo of Han Solo and and Princess Leia, right? Yeah, but they've passed the point of biggering. Exactly. They're the potential future of that couple. Yes. And it's something that you don't see in Star Wars. Who had a healthy relationship in the Star Wars movies? Who? Nobody. Nobody. Luke's first kiss was his twin sister. Did the Emperor have a wife? No. No. Darth Vader? No. All of that, right? Did Yoda have a girlfriend? No. And Rocka does good use of... For this miniseries, your main character brought in to boost up the name is Han Solo and Chewbacca. Which is fine. Which is fine. It's a cameo. And you Usually, it's hard to do these things because either the character takes over the plot or you make him completely antagonistic to the new character just in order to have something going on. But here it's like, no, 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 she's just one of the crew. And he takes her on a mission because he needs hands, fits, foot yeah. on the ground. She's a soldier. Yeah. It's her job. There's something else here also to consider. And again, it's it's another contextual plus. I did mm-hmm. enjoy this issue. But there's something here that is unique to it, I think, and that no other 
or, or I should say not many works in the Star Wars universe can claim this, which is that there is actual tension here because since it doesn't take place between any movies, unlike, say, Jason Aaron's Star Wars, where... Well, it takes place between Return of the Jedi and Force Awakens. Yes, but Force Awakens hasn't come out yet. And it so takes this place is... decades later. Exactly. If you look at Jason Aaron's Star Wars, right, or Kieran Gillen's Darth Vader... We know yes, he's gonna you, die. You, you can play with like the minor characters who die, appear, yeah. whatever, but like nothing's gonna happen to Luke Skywalker. Nothing's gonna happen to Vader. Nothing's gonna happen to yeah, Han Solo. Yeah, but when Shara is worried about her husband in the he end, might have actually been died. dead. Yeah, yes. and then so, there's another scene towards the end where they run into a closed building to fight the Empire, and she's mm-hmm. just standing outside, and she's she has no idea what's going on, and, and neither we just, do we. Yeah, we don't get to see inside the building. It just Hitchcock has this great quote about the scariest thing in the world mm. is closed door. Yep. You don't need to hear anything, you don't need to see anything, you just need to show the audience the closed door and their mind will do all the magic for you. Exactly. And that's a great example of this. And this is really the first time that it works because, yes, obviously this is taking place between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens. Because The Force Awakens isn't out yet, we don't actually know where any of this is going, Mm -hmm. right? And that's something that, you know, I mentioned Rebels, right? The Rebels TV show. It's an all-new cast of characters, but they're going up against Darth Vader in one episode, and I'm like, why are you even bothering? I know they're not going to be Vader. Well, see, see, I disagree. What's the point? I I like the episode because the point of it was to show that they were so completely outmatched. Yeah, but... They didn't try to win. One of them says... Can we beat him? Beat him. Right. We're lucky. To, we're lucky to have survived Absolutely. this one fight. And no, I, that's I a good use that. of Darth Vader. But it's also large scale. There are no real risks there. First of all, we know that the protagonists of Rebels are not the ones who end up winning the day. That's no. Luke Skywalker, right? These are not characters who appear in any capacity in the films. So they're either all going to die, or their stories is going to end like Anakin Skywalker's apprentice, right? Ahsoka Tano. She just goes off into the distance, and you never see her again. There's a fundamental lack of tension. Well, so you're not considering Lucas' ability to edit backwards time. Oh, God. So, no, 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 because he doesn't own Star Wars anymore. Well, I guess Bye, it's, Lucas. it's contagious. No, no. By no. the time the new DVD is released or... Oh, or, no. J.J. Abrams it, it never looks back. Kanan will appear as one of the blue ghosts. He's like, should I drop the lens flare on the Millennium Falcon? I think there's a little <laughs> too much lens flare going on over here. Uh, but the art... The art is, is very good. It's very good. I like that Chiquetto is doing... Young Han Solo, because we're so used by now to the rugged, more mature version of Harrison Ford that people sort of retroactively paint him backward as... But John Cassidy is doing the same thing. Well, yeah, but I don't know. Whenever I see an artist, they're usually doing as the mid-40s version of Harrison Ford, which is fine, you know, he's still a good-looking dude at the time, but this is like younger, more soft-looking version of the character. It is. I don't know if that's consistent with... Because how old was Harrison Ford in the last Star Wars movie? Like, the last not, trilogy not, not, movie? I have no idea. He me. couldn't have been more than, like, 35, 40. No, 30-something, yeah. 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 So, you know, it seems, like, age-appropriate here, whereas he's, like, 70 now, right? Oh, yes. Okay. So when The Force Awakens turns up, there's going to be a lot of old hand running around. And that's fine, too. But... Again, like, this is really the first time where I'm reading a Star Wars comic, and on the macro level, I don't know what's going to happen. And that's really refreshing. And I think that on the strength of that, for Rucka specifically, I might be coming back for more. I'm not the Star Wars fan who can tell you what planet Chewbacca comes from. I don't know that stuff. But if the story's good, I do enjoy it. And I think that... Rucka's strength specific, like, he really lucked out here. He's really in a position to 
if he coasts and does his usual thing, for people who are used to Star Wars, they're still going to be like, oh my god, who is this Shara? She's amazing. I've never seen anything like it. Because if you were... Well, I assume in the extended universe there are such characters. Not Because I know from reputation Mara Jade or something. Mara Jade was Timothy Zahn's creation. Mm. And she started out interesting and she turned into a Mary Sue. Mm. By the end of it, she was Zahn's baby, so he basically protected her. Um... From what I've read, and I've tried to read the Wikipedia entries, and God help me, just, I don't want to talk about it. That was a long night of the soul. But the most prominent female character, classic female warrior type, is actually Han and Leia's daughter, Jaina. But from what I understand, she's been retconned. Yeah, because, so... okay, as a lot of old Star Wars friends are apparently really annoyed about the new canon, because yeah. DC just erased everything but the movies... There was this new no- Star Wars novel coming out, the first of the extended universe novels yes. by Chuck Wending, I want to mm-hmm. say. Aftermath, I think it's already yeah, out. Yeah, And it got about 50 one-star reviews yeah. on Amazon on the first day. And some of them were... I've read them. Some of them were complaints. Uh, the writing style is bad. The plotting isn't good. Mm-hmm. But some of them were just... They've destroyed the extended universe, and yeah. a lot of them were really, really terrible. There was a lot oh of my homophobia God, there, too, yes, because there's there's an the LGBT gay character. character in the, in this. You have a, but, I mean, on the other hand, a friend of mine said, there's a character here, right? An Imperial Admiral who's a black woman. Now, the Empire in the films, old British white dudes. Yes. All of them. I don't know how they procreated, because you never saw a woman in the Empire. Ever. No women. Anywhere. It's amazing when you think about it. Like, the entire trilogy. They're one-celled organisms, and we just ah, didn't notice. They just, like, split themselves up. Are they clones? Well, they are. Are they eunuchs? I don't know what's going on, and I don't I don't want to answer that question. And now, for example, one of the... Like, Gwendolyn Christie's playing a stormtrooper. Yes. This woman is six foot five. The Tower of Strength, and, and right? And have you seen the armor they designed for her? She looks like just like a regular stormtrooper. Exactly. No and goddamn breastplate. No, breastplate. none. Thank God. Lupita Nyong'o is playing this outlaw queen or something. I don't know. So it does seem that they're moving towards a more yes. variable and more diverse... It's, it's a galaxy far, far away, but not so long time ago that you can't have black women. Yes. Yes. Billy Dee uh-huh. Williams must have been like, finally... I mean, Lando was the only black man in the universe for a long yes. time. So this is the sort of thing that I want to see more of. And I don't know about the merits of Wendig's writing. I, I didn't read the novel. I'm not that invested. But if we're doing away with... Is this the first example of a fictional expanded universe that's been decanonized? I can't no, think of anything no. else that... Well, I assume there must be. Maybe Star Trek? Have there been new No, but Star, Star Trek was an in-universe reboot. Re- like they yeah. time travel and all that stuff and the books are still coming out. Mm. So I don't I this might be the first time where there's like all of this stuff just didn't happen. But the answer to that crisis, like all of these one-star people who are going into hysteria, I would just say like just do what I do, build your own canon. Yeah, do I, your own thing, it's okay. We are Apparently in, Amazon told Chuck Wending it doesn't really matter because No. Because what people care about is the number of the reviews and that jumps up your sales. So if you get 5,000 bad reviews... You're still up in the charts. Yeah, yeah, because people mention your name. Yeah, and also I imagine that Disney is greasing Amazon's elbows to promote the uh-huh. book, especially with the film coming out. You know, the the original Expanded Universe was an accident. It was a series of novels also, that came Disney, out... Also, while we're talking and yeah. you're listening, because I know you're listening, Disney, we're oh, important. Yes. You know, hey, they gave us Greg Wiseman on a yeah, solo yeah, book. You so see, I'm... Greg Rocca... 
Mm. Apart from being a comic writer, was also a novelist. Yes. Did you know? Think of that. Hmm. Greg Rucko writing say, Star Wars novels. All, that's all I'll say. Uh, shall we if they're on? as good as Journey into... Uh, there's, this title well, is too long. I'm not going to tell you about this title. Shattered Empire. Shattered Star Empire. Wars? Fine. Shattered Empire. If it's as good as Shattered Empire, write those novels, Greg. Speaking of long titles, our last number one from Boombox, Tyson Hess's Diesel. Not just any old Diesel that you might... He wants new. you to know that it's his Diesel. I think that's because Boombox doesn't usually do that. Usually no. the titles are just... They don't belong to Boom exactly, but they don't belong to a specific creator because... It's not Noelle Stevenson's yeah, Lumberjanes. Yeah, and when Noelle Stevenson leaves, she's being replaced. She approves her replacement, but right. it's not... It doesn't belong just to her. Well, this is a four-issue miniseries. Yeah, okay, so. this is a four-issue Or maybe Tyson Hess is in this issue, and we just don't know. And Diesel actually does belong to him. Maybe he is... Diesel's. I don't know. It's an anyway, interesting question. It's a four-issue miniseries. Tyson Hess is an animator as far as I know mm-hmm. and he did work on The Amazing World of Gumball which is a well-received kids TV and show. it shows so tell us about the story the story concerns an intrepid young engineer named D. Diesel whose father built and owned this flying mobile community called Peacetown this seems to be sort of steampunk but not really yeah it's steampunk meets Light steampunk, I would yeah, say. Yeah, what's the name of that novel? Uh, Girl Genius. No, Tetralogy about the moving cities. The Hell's Hungry Moving Cro- Castle? No, no, The Hungry City Chronicles. Uh, oh, I know what you're talking about. Yes. The cities that fight each other. Yeah. Oh, I'm blanking out on the name, though. Anyway, so Dee is 17 years and 11 months old, and her birthday is tomorrow, upon which she will receive ownership of Peacetown, her father having been the owner, as we said. And she's got big plans. She's going to change everything around, and she's going to pilot Peacetown instead of Cap Wells, who is the actual captain of the ship, and who really dislikes D. I don't know if she hates her, or because their relationship is adversarial, but in a funny way. Cap is constantly handing her these books, like, they're titled Managerial Blunders and the Stupid Bosses Behind Them. Like, really passive-aggressive rivalry. But on the other hand, they're not hostile towards each other, openly so, at least. So, Dee has this talent for engineering, much like her father. She may or may not possess some kind of mystical ability to go along with that. Seems there's to be a, some machine empathy going on. Something's going on. And then uh, there's a mysterious explosion to be continued. Now, I will say this. Right off the bat, it's clear that Hess has at least an inkling of what he's doing because... D is overconfident, right? She's brash. She's always getting into places she's not supposed to be. You know what you're reminding me of? Saturday morning cartoons of the Disney 90s variety. Yes. This is Gummy Oh, yes. This is Darkwing Duck, style-wise. And even... She's Gosselin. There you go. Yes. Absolutely. But that's exactly the thing. Well, that's good because these were great cartoons. Not only were these great cartoons, when you think about Gosselin, for example, right? She was annoying and like always in the front but she wasn't obnoxious like you liked her as a character yeah. and she D was, is the same way she was annoying but the show knew she was annoying exactly. she wasn't like you will love this character without any doubt no no she was like yeah she's a bit of a brat but you know she she has, means well yes. like she has a good heart and the fact that she doesn't know as much as she thinks she does is not treated as a character defect on her part she's legitimately excited she wants to help people she wants to do all of these different things and <laughs> it's her bad luck that cap finds her incredibly annoying so right off the bat 
Hess succeeds here in creating a protagonist where I want to know what happens next with her. Like, I'm really invested. And the world that he builds here, to some extent, lacks definition. Yeah, it's a bit patchwork, steampunk meets, like you said, howled moving cattle. There are animal hybrids running around? There are animal humans, and she has a robot. But only she has a robot. And nobody takes it as something weird, but we don't see a lot of robot butlers running mm-hmm. around. So she apparently built him. Yeah, so it's a very interesting premise. It's a very interesting concept. And it Again, looks, it, it looks great. Now it they looks put, fantastic. He writes and draws, they put his name on the title, and rightfully so. It's graceful, it's lovely, it's simple, but in a good way. Yeah. The only fault that I would really have here is, again, you know, this is something that we keep coming back Four to. Four issue with series by Boom. We keep coming back to the problem of the first issue does not give you a clear enough explanation of what the threat is. Yeah. Because the issue here ends with, you know, something lightning ha- and explosion and something happens. Something happens that Cap seems to recognize, but there's no context for it. And is she surprised by the person or by what the person represents we don't know and as with so many boom miniseries i feel like another page or two just to make it clear to us what we should be worried about like where is the the aha moment where it's like oh my god what's gonna happen it seems to be something that i would enjoy more reading in one sitting as a trace yeah. back then and we have said this so many times with boom. yeah but this works better than other this works better than the fiction because I care about the characters and I enjoy the world. Oh, D is much better than anyone in the fiction, just like in terms of basic likability. Because in the fiction, they were, they were kind of brats. Yeah. You know, and grown up, they were not much better. But D, again, like you can't, you can't blame her for being all jazzed up. Now, again, so this is very much for kids. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not just for kids, for, you know, for the whole family kind of thing. All ages. It's, it's skewed young. Yeah. No, you won't. It's not aiming to be some sort of a deep, mystical, super political type of thing. I don't. It's called Peace Town, but it has some dark secret. No, no, no. It it's actually is just a peaceful little town. Yeah, flying town, which is fine. You know, this it has its place. Perfectly okay. Yeah, for what it is, it achieves all its aims. I mm-hmm. would say, which is good. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely there. invested enough to come back for more. Okay, so this was our number ones, and we shall finish not with an ARC review, not with a trade review, with a series review. In loving memory, our main course review this week is Hexed. Issues 1 through 12. Oh, well, okay, so let's clarify. We are reviewing the 12-issue series that came out after the 4-issue miniseries, which has been collected as The Devil You Know. We're talking about issues 1 through 12 of the ongoing, well, formerly ongoing series, by Michael Allen Nelson, art by Dan Mora and Gabriel Casada from Boom. Hexed. Okay, now the reason I wanted to talk about just these 12 issues and not the first four issues, Mm -hmm. I didn't read these four issues, and up until the middle of this series, I wasn't even aware that there was a previous series. Now, usually that means, A, you're doing a very bad work of publicizing your old materials, which they do, but... The fact that I managed to reach six issues in to this series, which is a sequel series, without knowing that there was a sequel, without feeling that I've missed anything, is a testament to the writing talent of Nelson. To the way they're presenting a universe in which the things that you don't know are not like, why do I know this? They're like, oh, this is interesting. This is an interesting concept. I can't wait for you to develop it further. The first issue tells you everything you need to know about Lucifer, not that Lucifer, the other Lucifer, about her friends, about her life. Uh, Our main... 
protagonist is a girl named Lucifer. She has a very long name, but people who know her call her Lucifer. <laughs> Never Lucy. No. And she's a thief who deals with mystical objects. She steals all sort of mystical mumbo-jumbo, the wings of angels, the lost pictures, the grand mm. tombs of the unknown. The crown of the Yellow King. And mostly she gives them to her sort of a mother figure, Val, who runs a gallery, and underneath the gallery there's this huge vault for all this mystical stuff, lest it harm any living being. Now, during all her fevery, she makes all sorts of enemies, and one of them, the main antagonist for the series, is the semi-goddess, semi-demonic Lady Cymbeline. Mm. And while she's doing all of this, she has an intern. A girl who Reina. starts off as an intern in the gallery, but because she steps in at the wrong place at the wrong time, becomes an intern to Lucifer's magical willing and dealing. And becomes a necromancer. Yes. And the other antagonist here, well, she's not exact. Well, she is antagonistic, but her role in the story is not as antagonist, is the harlot. Yes. Which, first of all, let me just say, Dan Mora, you have given me some very vivid nightmares of this character because the harlot is terrifying. Dan Mora is a great artist. And, in fact, it's similar to sort of the John Doe concept that we're talking about. The harlot knows the secrets. She's the keeper of secrets. She's the keeper of secrets. She knows the answer to any question except anything to do with her. The one thing she wants to know the most. Okay. Which, towards the end of the series, there's this whole setup explaining what she wanted to know, which mm-hmm. is tragic. It, it and, is. And it makes you care about a character that you spend all this time hating and fearing. Well, I don't know that you would ever hate the harlot, because her relationship to Lucifer, which we see evolve during the 12-issue yeah. storyline, is she sees herself as an impromptu mentor or another mother figure for Lucifer. You know, she's always speaking to her in a tone that's like... I hope you don't do this terrible thing, but if you do, oh well, you know, because what has happened is that the harlot has cursed Lucifer to take her place. Yeah. Eventually, when the harlot dies, Lucifer will become the new keeper of secrets. And that is sort of the, the cloud that's always hanging over her head. So the harlot, on the one hand, is trying to push her towards fulfilling that role, but on the other hand, she does genuinely seem to care for Lucifer, even in her function as sort of an adversary. Well, we have sort of Freudian explanation, again, in the last issue of yeah. why the Harlot curls so much. It's it's very interesting. Now, reading the storylines, it does sort of come down to three, four-issue arcs. Yes. You have the beginning with Madame Cymbeline's brother, who escapes the painting. You have the middle story, in which... Madame Cymbeline decides that Lucifer has been under her heel way too long, and it's time to just crush her. And then the the big finale is, of course, the culmination of Lucifer's destiny, and we find out what's going no. on with the harlot, and the sisters yeah. of Witchdown. Well, try not to spoil, which is a problem when no we're talking spoilers. about issues. Now, the first issue came out in the same month as Wayward, mm. which was one of, I think, the first thing we ever reviewed on this podcast. One of the of, first. You know, and it was everything Wayward wasn't, in which it succeeded in the first issue to tell a story and introduce characters and be fun and exciting and not just, what's this thing going on? No, no, this is what's going on, A, B, and C, what's going on next? Which is a lot better way to start a series. But, there is a problem with the last four issues, yeah. which you can see that the series was basically pushed towards an ending way too quickly. Because the, up until issue eight, you said there are two four issues arc, but there's this big mega arc that culminates in issue yes. eight in a great, great finale, which is, this was a TV, this would be the end season. You're talking about issue 12? What happened? No, no, issue 8. Oh, issue 8, okay. When she has the transformation. Yes. If this was a TV, this would be the end of season 1. The season finale. Oh, yeah. And you're sort of expecting them to develop this, but then issues 9 to 12 
have this new status quo set up and they finish it. And I think, I don't know, I think that the creative team was basically said, you have to finish this. You, we can't go it on. It does read like that. The, Absolutely. Between, I was reading this monthly and between issue 11 and 12, about three or four months delay. Yeah. Huge. Which made reading the last issue when it came out unreadable because were these characters? What, what are they doing? What's no, no. I, I not, had not, waited until not, the art came yeah, out. Yeah, well, I've read it. I, right. When it came out, I'm like, oh, wait, wait. What's the mechanics of this particular magic ritual? I don't remember. Yeah. Reading it again, it works a lot better, but it still feels... It's, 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 it's they good. pulled the rug out from yeah, under yeah. him. It's as good as it can be in these conditions, but it is so very rushed towards the ending, which is yeah. a great shame for me. It's unfortunate because, really, like in issue 12, again, I'm not going to spoil specific plot details, but... You can almost feel Michael Allen Nelson pushing the fast forward button because they jump over, like, Reyna all of a sudden has this role to play in the final confrontation, except she doesn't. And then it, it just sort of doesn't make it, it goes too quickly for there to be any emotional resonance. And that there's so much emotional meat at the end of the story where you finally get the answers with the harlot and you get the answer with the sisters of Witchdown and what happens with Val and what Lucifer is going to do next and all of these things and it's just if they had had four more issues yeah. I feel like that would have worked you know what it reminded me of it's unfortunate. Uh, there was the Smy Carey series about the Japanese twins yeah, Midnight Crossing exactly yeah. what I was going to say it was, it was <laughs> the exact same situation arcs, fantastic and then the third arc is like what? Go, 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 finish this. We yep. have, you have five issues. Wait, we'll cancel what? This. That's how you're resolving it? And, you know. Well, but this is better because the last arc of Crossing Midnight has terrible artwork. Mm. And Dan Mora, say what we'll... Oh, yes. He keeps, he keeps up the pace. Dan Mora is a spectacular artist. Another thing we reviewed way back in the podcast is the second arc of the Supernatural Doctor series. Uh, Witch Doctor. Witch Doctor. Which mm. did some interesting thing with the Supernatural as a doctor. And here, uh, Mora has a chance to do interesting things with Supernatural as sort of a safety mechanism. Yes. So, Lucifer has this toy dog which she uses to trap things and then springs them back. Yeah. She uses great. the gimmicks that Nelson writes about in really creative and interesting ways. And the, the four-issue miniseries that preceded it also had, you had like this artifact. That's the sort of like minutiae that really makes the story interesting. So... There's an object. It's it's the perfect weapon. You speak a person's name, and the this orb flies out and kills that person. But the problem is, it's now out of your hands, and someone else is going to pick it up and say your name or whatever. <laughs> so it's like it's a weapon that you can only use once, and in using it, it you know, lands you, you next to, to the person you've killed. You have to use it perfectly. You can't use it perfectly because <laughs> when you kill someone, the weapon will fall next to their body. So the next person who finds it could very well... like. Well, take... you need to make sure that the guy you want to kill is standing next to the Dalai Lama. He'll <laughs> yeah, never use something it. Something like that. Yeah, so it's, like, it's, it's a clever use of these little details that end up being so much more significant. Like, that's a sign of real craftsmanship. The complaint that I would have for Hexed as a whole, obviously, like, the fast-forwarding at the end is mm. unavoidable, right? The, Boom canceled this book for whatever reason. Now... The interesting thing is that nowhere has this been referred to as an actual cancellation. And in fact, Michael Allen Nelson has published a hexed novel called The Sisters of Witchdown, which... It's a prequel? I don't know. I haven't read it yet. Because The Sisters of Witchdown are characters in the arc. They are the magical sisters of the the original Keeper of Secrets. Yeah. 
and their backstory is important part it, of it. It's revealed during the series. I don't know if it's a prequel or... Because they say... It could they even met, be a sequel. They met Lucifer before, so maybe right. it's a prequel. It could be, but like if he were to continue this as a novel series, first of all, I feel like he could. It's too bad about Dan Mora because you know, yeah. his artwork is phenomenal. But I feel like the problem that I have with Hexed as a whole is that Nelson's world building ends up being a lot more narrow than I thought it would. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that Madame Cymbeline is the villain in all three arcs and that really the narrative thrust has been about her versus Lucifer all along. Whereas I was sure that Madame Cymbeline would like turn up in the first arc and then maybe in the second arc fight someone else? Mm-hmm. Like is there no one else in the landscape yeah, that you could deal you with? Well, you, you know why you do it because she's a, it's such a great visual. This woman yeah. dressed all in white never speaks for herself. She always needs to hold a person to speak for her because I don't know. She's like and bla- kill them in the yeah, process. Yeah, they're dying while they speak. She's like Black Bolt. Yeah, only evil. Only a lot more evil. And so like know, Black Bolt. <laughs> no, I mean she's a competent villain and she's an interesting villain, especially when you find out like her mythological and, descendants and, and like she who basically she is. Says she she's evil because she doesn't care about people specifically, but she doesn't have something for humanity. She cares about our dimension. She wants to keep it safe from demons and invasions. So she says. Yeah. In the first arc, she's positioned in front of someone who is much worse off than she is. So Lucifer sides with her as the lesser of two evils. That much is fine. But I feel like, you know, you've created this setup of the supernatural as black market trinket, Val's gallery, and... Lucifer doesn't steal anything after, like... Yeah, because the second arc is supposed to be Lucifer retrieving all the stuff that was lost during the first arc. Right. She does it once, and then... Exactly. It it ends up being a lot more focused on the rivalry with Cymbeline towards a natural conclusion, Which makes me think that the compression started a lot earlier. Maybe by issue six, they were like, no, 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 no. You have 12 issues. Because Nelson had this whole world, right? Yeah. And he doesn't really do anything with it. In fact, I don't even remember if this happens in the first issue of the series or in the four-issue miniseries because it's all just a jumble in my head. But when she meets an angel... Right. This she, is the miniseries. It's the miniseries? Oh, because no, because the, they, the, the, the feather turns series, up at the end. In the proper series, in the ongoing, they refer to that and they bring back the priest. Right. That she rescued the... So it for. always makes you wonder, like, there was presumably other things going on that had nothing to do with Cymbeline. Why don't we get to see any of that? Well, we, so it's sort of like a missed opportunity yeah. where if Hex had run for another 12 issues, and who knows, maybe it'll come back, I don't know. No, but... There are problems, like we said. Most of them are not the fault of the creators. <laughs> they do the best with what they get. The, and there are some spectacular moments. The fight at issue 8 between Lucifer and oh, Sigmund yeah. is this amazingly epic. And it does something which should be really stupid because Lucifer's magic in that issue specifically is spoken backwards like she's Zatanna. <laughs> it shouldn't work, you know, because you read this and like, oh, this is stupid. But They're doing no, Zatanna. No, but the, the facial expressions and the brutality of the combat and... At this point, she doesn't care about anything. She was this whole... Not peaceful, but I don't want to kill anybody. I just want to do the job and yeah. end without damage. And by issue eight, she's... You've pushed me towards the end. She hates Cymbeline. Yeah, she pushed me towards the end and I will destroy anybody in my way to you. And then I would destroy you. Which even, she does. Even if it means I have to destroy humanity. Because mm. I don't care. It's just... Issue eight yeah. is one of the best fight scenes in comics in years. Absolutely. Nelson manages to tap into... Like, it's a great action scene, but also, you know, you feel for Lucifer in that moment. And because again, she's reacting emotionally to again, a very specific None of this thing. would work without Dan Mora. And he does no. better work than... Well, I don't know if none of it... Th- that novel, yeah. I need to get around to reading The Sisters of Witchdown because 
that will demonstrate no, whether the, or not. No, but I mean the action scenes because this oh. is a very kinetic. This is a very oh, yes. action oriented series. This isn't people singing and talking. Now the miniseries was drawn by Emma Rios. Yes, it was their first Western work. Oh, it was, and it's good, but it's not as good as she will become. And then, right? W- well, so this was two thousand and uh, ago, yeah, two thousand eleven. Oh, she hadn't even done Pretty Deadly yet. Yes, oh, it was one of her okay. first works. Okay. So, and I like the Morris version more. So, if this, so this is some high achievement. Yes. No, I like her current work more than I like his work, but. Even early. Like, it makes you wonder what yeah. she would do now yeah. if she were to write hacks. Yeah, now, even early Emma Reeves was very good. But then, yeah. now, it's not perfect. Then Mora takes it, I think, to a creepier level. Yeah, now, it's not perfect. Uh, his female bodies tend to be a bit same-ish. They're all this sort Stick of... Stick figures. Yeah, very wayfish, very thin. Yeah. It's not exaggerated, and it's not super objectifying. No, but, it, like, time, if but Reina, like, yeah. if Reina didn't have a different hair color yeah, than... It's like, ha- Lucifer, you could get confused. Yeah, the blonde, the brunette, and the even Valesa. You know, she's old, but she still have the figure of. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a bit weird. Well, yeah, yeah, I guess it could be. It could diversify a bit more, but other than that, no complaint for the art. Yeah. Would we recommend it? Yes. Yes, with all I, the problems, I do. I, do. I, I think it's good. It's not as good as it could have been. But it's still good. Yeah. And you don't even need to read the previous meaning. Would you say that it comes to a satisfying conclusion? Yeah. Yeah, the conclusion is satisfying. The way to reach it, issue 9 through 11, are the problem because they're so rushed. I will recommend it. I would just say... With reservations. Be prepared for the abrupt conclusion that comes at the end. Because you will feel it when the breaks stop. Yeah. But, you know, I, I hope that Nelson will come back to it. Maybe they'll reboot it again sometime. You'll read the novel and you'll tell I'll, me. I will definitely let you know. Okay, and... Well, this was our one-year anniversary. Happy anniversary, Our Tom. extra super long one-year anniversary. Double-sized, same price. If it's double-sized, it's, that, five, it's four hours. Maybe next time. <laughs> okay. I'm Tom Shapiro. And I'm Sean Edry. Until next time. Bon appetit. Bon appetit.